Hey guys, brand new podcast. Did I mention I'm at Red Rocks September 13th? I am. I'm starting the fall leg of the Birdie Boy Relapse Tour September 2nd in Brandon, Mississippi. Then on to Atlantic City, Atlantic City. Some makeup dates out in Victoria, BC. Makeup dates in Spokane. And then we are going hard as shit starting in Red Rocks. And it goes on. I think all my Omaha shows in November are sold out for my special. But go to burpburpburt.com to get your tickets. We are on general on sale for everything. We have a couple announcements of some dates coming up that I'm excited to do. That'll be in December that we haven't announced. We got excitement coming for January. Can't wait for January. Is it going to be a big, uh, big, big leg of the tour? So will April and March. I can't fucking wait. I'm excited to get back out on the road. Go to burpburpburt.com. Speaking of being on the road, Mike Burbiglia, my guest today, has a new one-man show called The Old Man in the Pool at the Mark Taper Forum. It is, it is, it is right now. It's going on right now. Go to burbigs.com. Get him through his website because all those other ones are ads, and I think you're going to pay an upcharge that Mike doesn't get. So he's got a show uh, literally from this July right now till August 28th at the Mark Taper Forum. You can get tickets. Then he's in September. He's going to be in Pittsburgh. Then Cleveland, Toronto, Atlanta, Atlanta, Cincinnati, Columbus. The guy is a legit fucking legend in the game. He is one of the OGs in storytelling. We talk about that. He has one of the best stories in comedy about him sleepwalking and jumping out of his window. He does not tell that story here. We talk a little bit about that. We talk a lot about storytelling. We talk a lot about him doing the road because I think I was unaware of just how hard he toured when he was younger. I know he did colleges and stuff, but man, he was a gangster doing road gigs that I didn't even know about. Um, we talk about that. We talk about him getting into comedy, his choices he made in life that defined his success. You know, he talks about it. Um, we talk about storytelling a lot. More importantly, go see his one-man show, The Old Man in the Pool, at the Mark Taper Forum, going now until the end of August. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, my friend, stand-up comedian, Mike Burbiglia. This is I am right. so hungover, you have no idea. Are you? And I don't get hungover. Like, I worked out and everything this yeah. morning. But I get, like... Uh, like shit you can't see it's like it's not even like shaky but like i drank all day yesterday what? i'm in a great i'm in a great place emotionally and i was treating I'm in myself a great place assault. emotionally is actually not my takeaway from that <laughs> i i woke up i woke up out at the beach and my wife and i rode bikes oh that's nice and to a, a, a place that you can never get a seat at to eat breakfast oh and uh and i ordered a tequila sunrise oh that's nice and then uh we went back and she's like let's go take a walk on the beach and so i made a nice big cocktail wow and then i made a big cocktail for driving into the city oh god for her she drove i was just riding shotgun and then when i got here <laughs> she had a podcast I, a I passed show. out in the backyard <laughs> in my hammock having a cigar i woke up i didn't know where my cigar was oh my god. and then uh and then i got an iv and then oh, uh, that's yeah nice and then uh and then i've done that before i love IVs. oh when i did the broadway show i would do it all the time 
and it's just it really picks you up it's the best yeah. it's the best i got it i was pretty hammered yeah when i got it so i don't it was kind of like pissing on a fire and then i got my testosterone levels today and they're low oh and of, out of all people i text rogan like hey man i should get on testosterone he goes i don't think that would be wise oh the one guy the right to the choirs he's been talking about fucking testosterone right when was the last time you got a physical uh i got one like six months ago dude are you pretty regular with that yeah i mean my whole new show that i, I want you to come see at the mark taper forum doing 40 of them it's called the old man in the pool and it's all about middle age and hitting that point where you oh, you know they i remember when i was a kid they used to say that phrase over the hill yeah. and i always never understood it till i got on the hill and i'm looking around i'm going oh you know there's natural causes you yeah. know what i mean like they're not close but they're coming <laughs> that's why i want to hear you talk about the drinking stuff i'm like bert what are we doing here <laughs> like when does the when does the changeover go when does from? it happen yeah. when does it happen i don't know it's coming no but I I, i'm it. saying with alcohol i'm like when oh. does that changeover come where you go What's alcoholism in relation to yeah. in relation to I'm drinking in the morning at the thing? No, but I think <laughs> here's the problem is I've I've been assessed by many an expert. Oh, right? Trust me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh god, yeah. Yeah. And uh I don't have a I don't have a problem with not drinking. Okay. I don't have a problem like I and, and I don't I don't have a problem like I don't need to drink for right. certain things. I don't need like like right now, so this is the de the definition. Right now, an alcoholic would have had a drink already. Right, it'd have been like, I don't feel so great. I can write that boat. Right. I have a real punitive brain. So this morning, I woke up at six to do radio, and wow. yeah, well, I went to bed at one. Woke up at six, and then met my trainer back here at seven. Worked out hard as fuck for an hour. Wow. Like lifted weights, wow. rode, and Holy then cow. yeah, and so and so my brain. I don't know if it. I don't know. I, I know. I know. I gotta quit drinking just because I go. It's not. I had a cardiologist one time walk me into the into the waiting room. Yeah. And she goes, uh, "You see all these people here?" I said, "Yeah." And she goes, "They didn't know how to stop partying." Oh. And I was like, "Oh wow!" And that was like the realest I've ever Wait, seen. What it. was she pointing to? To all the old the people, people just in the, like in the this. And yeah, waiting room. dude. It's amazing. I just we did a huge health checkup, like like top to bottom. Oh, everything. you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Well, I go to my cardiologist every nine months, and then, and then I do, I did this real concierge physical, and it's funny, not funny. By you, I got lung X-rays. I got bone density. I got oh. carotid arteries, uh, annu aortic aneurysm Ooh, screening. Um, I got everything. I got everything. That sounds great. It's not. It's is a lot of stress came yeah, went into this because i was like i was like i don't want to fucking do any of this yeah but i did i did it all and it's interesting in the different screening rooms you see the different people oh right that are dealing with the with thing. thing yeah like uh, yeah. a lot of emphysema in the lung yeah, scan when they're getting the lung scan uh a lot of old women getting the bone density oh just God. frail old women one of one of my opening jokes is about how i, I got sent to a cardiologist and you tell know, me more and the doctor said blow into the tube the pulmonary test you've yeah, probably yeah. done that yeah the, I go, the joke is i go there's a ball in it and you blow into it and it's uh, which is why i call it the birthday cake test because it sort of tells you how many birthday cakes you have left <laughs> and so i it's like so i did it i did it this is a true story sometimes i have to like tempt this back so people understand it's real yeah i blew into it and he's looking at the screen he goes go ahead and do it i was like i did i did <laughs> and he goes um do it again <laughs> and i did it and he goes i don't know what to tell you Mike. 
I was going by this, I'd say you're having a heart attack right now. It's a true story. And I was like, so scared. I have an issue with, I have just an issue with breathing. My dad had a heart attack. This is a lot of what the show is about. My dad had a heart attack at 56. His dad had a heart attack at 56. My dad, my dad, my dad, my dad's dad had a heart attack at 42, a stroke at 42. My mom's dad had a stroke at 50. Oh, everyone in my family oh my has God. had. So you're doing okay, actually. So I have, I mean, I'm, I'm, I haven't really, I, mean, I can't go on just the screenings, but I, I have had, I have zero blockage in my heart, zero blockage in my oh, aortic aneurysm. And I have minimal in my carotid arteries, which like they can't really tell you exactly, but it's like one to fifteen percent. So it could be, but but there's something there. That's why I'm on blood thinners. But oh, I'm I'm yeah. really I'm really I I live in I live with my cardiologist. My cardiologist came in my Greek show. Oh, no kidding. Like I, I yeah I've, I have I and I and I I've set up many a comic. Has, uh, a lot of comics go to my cardiologist. I just grab their phone. I called the cardi my cardiologist with their phone. I set up an appointment oh for them. You you know who has a great joke about this is Ray Romano. Really? He goes like, "How old's Ray Romano?" I want to say he's in his fifties, maybe. No, I don't he's got to be 60. 60s. Sixty-five. I'm gonna guess. But I saw him do a joke one night. He goes like, "I'm paraphrasing." 64. Sixty-four. He looks good too. He looks good. Looks I saw good. him. I saw him in Fryman Canyon <laughs> on a hike. He looks good. So, God, yeah, what, saw, what is it? What comics have we turned into no, that I we're know. looking at ages of comics? Going, that's good, man. He's really mobile. <laughs> So he, so he has this joke. It's just like he's like, you know, when you're when you're a teenager, you need you need the friend who can get you beer, and yeah. when you're in your twenties, you need the friend who can get you concert tickets, and when you're in your thirties, and you get when you're thirties, you need a good lawyer, and when you're in your forties, you need to be friends with a good doctor. You know, it's all about the progression. Yeah of who you're friends with over the years yeah. is essentially like it's all self-preservation <laughs> do you do you deal do you deal at all with anxiety oh yeah really? big time anxiety yeah i mean look i mean the thing that i'm sort of most well known for is i jump through a second story window sleepwalking <laughs> i mean it's like my version of the machine like it's, it's like one of the best stories it's ever it's one of the best stories ever thanks it's bananas it's and it happened and it's real it's one, like uh, you know 18 years ago I sleepwalk through a second story window at a La Quinta Inn in Walla Walla, Washington. It's like, I mean, if if that person doesn't have anxiety, I don't know who does. Uh, but yeah, no, and I deal with it every day. I mean, and 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 I, yeah, it's hard. It's it, yeah. I mean, I think it's part of the reason why we're comedians too. Yeah. I mean, anxiety. I mean, there's an interrelationship between observing things and and feeling anxiety. I was I was telling my wife I'm. I'm I'm very introspective, not because that I am by that by nature, but that comedy forced me to do that. Okay, comedy forced me to analyze everything I look at. So like, so like that's, that's why I have a hard time with um like stating a side on politics because yeah. I I can argue myself the other side. Yeah, I get that. And so, but yeah, I have anxiety, but I I have anxiety, but it goes away like right now. Like when we're doing yeah, this, yeah, yeah. it goes away. This isn't stressful for me at all. Yeah, scuba diving, I I am terrified to scuba dive unless there's a camera. I see a camera, <laughs> I completely because I go, no one dies on camera. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm laughing that you have this liquid death here. Have you ever had one? It's just no, water. No, it's water. Yeah, okay. it's awesome. It's water. Oh yeah, I heard but the you delivery talking. system is okay. what I love about it. It's because the can. Yeah, so it's like drinking a beer. Okay, and so you guzzle like it that. a little, like those bottles of water. You, a just, more fun. you ever see like? unscrew sips and it's 
This I, is just. Well, I don't trust bottled plastic bottles of water at all. I think that's a whole scam. I agree. I, I do tap water all the time. Oh, uh, well, you live in New York. Yeah. Best fucking tap water in the world. Great tap water. Best fucking tap water in the world. Whenever people do bottled water in New York, I'm like, what's wrong with you? This is from, this is like great water from upstate. Yeah. And it's, and it's because New York's on a bedrock, it's forced to come through all that better. Maybe that, maybe I made that up. <laughs> could have made that up. I was into it. I, I could sell it. <laughs> I, I was actually it. one of my questions for you is for when you come on working it out podcast is is gonna be when you because you're a storyteller also we have, we share that in common well, you're the you're the OG you're the you're the first comic I ever really noticed that told legit long form stories oh thanks yeah I, without a doubt there was it was it just wasn't it like when I started I I, I that was my natural preclusion yeah. So it was to start telling stories. We did a storytelling room. Me and DC Benny and Ben Bailey did a storytelling room in Soho. And I ended up telling, I did, I did maybe five nights. And each one of those nights, one of those stories is in my act. And no I, kidding. And I, I was so much better at storytelling. But when you went up, when I, I remember going like, why can't I just do that at the yeah. Boston Comedy Club? And it was just... There was a, it, that w- it wasn't the thing, and and I I think I was really obsessed with fitting in, like fitting in with comics because right. I wasn't a, I wasn't like I wasn't super smart, like I wasn't like the smartest guy in the room. I didn't have ed- edgy stuff like you know smart edgy stuff. I just I didn't I only knew like my experiences. Yes. And then when I moved to L.A., it wasn't until I started doing podcasts that I started really truthfully. Uh, I take that back. I told like my stories were always real skinny. Yeah. Like taking acid and going to yeah. Disneyland. And they had to be, they had to be like tent pole. That old trope. Yeah. And then, but then when I remember watching you at the Tampa improv one time and you walked up and you did not open with like, eh, it's great to be, you just started, you literally walked on stage and began telling a story. And I uh. went, Oh, Oh no kidding. Yeah. That's when yeah. you and I met. Yeah. At Tampa improv. I was doing travel channel stuff and I came down, we were rolling cigars in Ybor city. I came down, we had sushi upstairs, and I came down, introduced myself, and we sat and watched your set. And I was like, Aww. but you you are you are you're a real pioneer in a lot of things. Like you're a pioneer with radio. Like your uh I remember your Bob and Tom appearances were like legendary. It was those guys were just so good to me. I mean, it was just fun. It was a fluke, you know, it was a fluky thing. So many of us are so lucky. I heard you, I've heard you talk about you know, with Tom just rolling tape here and then and just being like pressing record and now yeah. you have a podcast. You know, yeah. it's like and if he didn't do that, you wouldn't have done X, Y, Z, right? With me, it's like I was on the Bob and Tom shows playing Indianapolis, doing the club in town, did the radio show. It went really well. And then I did what I do because I'm an obsessive writer. Yeah. Um, it, 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 I went to a Starbucks after the radio show and I just set up shop and write it just so happens tom griswold walks in he goes hey you were just on my show i go oh yeah he's like what are you doing I'm writing you're writing at 10 30 in the morning like i've never seen comics do this this doesn't yeah. make any sense to me i go yeah i write this thing it's like called like you know it's an email list my secret public journal i call it and i send it out to anyone who comes to my shows i put little things on the tables telling people to sign up for it and he goes yeah you, you should just do that on the show and so I just started doing call-ins and, and, and then I became like, you know, all of a sudden it was like, I was playing 
selling out in Cincinnati and Peoria and all these places where their show is really popular. And, and yeah. it, I had this very unexpected like audience all of a sudden. And you can't, there's so many things in, in, in comedy and show business that are just luck. And then generosity of other people. I have, I have, I have hung my hat on that so much that like I used to, I used to not shit on Kevin Hart, but like I used to, I used to, I used to, I used to <laughs> close. I used to, but I know Kevin very well. I'm yeah. friends with Kevin, sure. and so I'm, I haven't talked to him in forever. But if I saw him, there wouldn't be. It would be a quick conversation. Um, but I used to get frustrated when I'd see him talk about how hard he worked. Now I was unaware just how much was on his plate. Yeah, I was coming at it from the side of I started succeeding, and I realized from my perspective how much luck goes into a successful career yeah. is is noteworthy. It, is, is, you don't ever hear uh, Mark Wahlberg or The Rock talk about the things that happen to them where they're like, God, can you believe that? No, I know. And, and that's where I, 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 I'd find more wor value in me telling you all the lucky shit that happened to me because, yeah, we all work hard. I mean, yeah. that's like comes to the territory. You're not here. That's the price of admission. Yeah, yeah, hard yeah. work. You better, if you're i can tell you the guys that don't work hard you don't know them anymore yeah they we all started together and then they chose not to work hard yeah. and then we chose to and by the way this is a little fucking secret time uh <laughs> fucking fucking other comics really shit on the guys that bust their ass and do get up and write they're like oh we could all work hard uh, it's it's fucking crazy or you put yourself out there to sell tickets and they're like i'm not gonna be the fucking i saw one comic that i used to respect he's like I'm not gonna be out there in a fucking speedo, fucking trying to sell my tickets. I'm a real comic, and I went, "Oh yeah, that's right. You're a real comic. That's why no one's coming to your fucking shows. Right. Like, go fuck yourself. I, I'm a real comic too, and my goals are real comics to get people to my shows. Right. I'll put on a fucking speedo. I'll suck my own dick if I have to, <laughs> and I will. No, and so, but, but I love. I want to hear more about people's luck, like the crazy, like when you say you're just writing. Yeah, and he walks in, and then he's like, "You should do that on the show." And then next thing you know, I'm curious. What was your, what was your, give me some timelines. You started, you went to Georgetown, right? Yeah, yeah. Started, did you know like all those guys in Georgetown? Yeah. So like Nick Kroll yeah, and Melania yeah. so and all like, that? So like I went to Georgetown. I was writing comedy in high school and I was like, right. I, I wanted, I saw Stephen Wright live, like yeah. the legendary Boston bred comedian guy. He did a hundred tonight shows, you know, with Johnny. Yeah. I saw him live at the Cape Cod Melody Tent when I was 16 and it was an epiphany. I, talk about luck. My brother Joe took me to see Stephen Wright when I was 16 years old. Wow. Like, who does that? You know, yeah. I got a great brother, great taste in comedy. And he goes, this guy's hilarious. And I go and I watch and I'm just watching this guy. This is the funniest motherfucker I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I've never laughed this hard. Yeah. Never laughed. Like, I've never laughed this hard except with my friends, which I think ultimately is those are the people you laugh hardest with. Oh. And, uh, those are like the laughing the, fits. The hardest. The, those. I I can I was telling my wife I I have like two breakfast burritos that stand out in my life yeah. that I really remember and I think about often. There are times I've laughed the hardest I've ever laughed, and I and I can close my eyes and go there when you're a kid with your friends. Oh my god! Fucking yeah! Those are the best. Oh but then god. everyone changes, and then you try to hang out with them now, and those moments of that innocence is gone. Yeah. And I, or I think that maybe it's like, uh, you know, we all ate cheeseburgers when we were kids, yeah. but me and you got into the business of making cheeseburgers. <laughs> so now you look back at those cheeseburgers, you're like, no, those were good cheeseburgers, but they weren't that complex. Right. 
and right. they and they're still eating those old cheeseburgers. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, like so so like I saw Stephen Wright and I was like, yeah, I want to do that. And so I started writing jokes in a notebook. And they were all Stephen Wright rip-off jokes, basically. Like, what would, I, I, you know, I, like I would write like a joke, like one of my early jokes that's in my movie Sleepwalk with me, where I'm like portraying myself as a young comic. So I would be like, um, you know, like like um some of these, you know, like some of the, some of these uh, childhood, you know, cartoon characters are, you know, some of these like children's you know idols are maybe not the best role models like cookie monster like you think he has an eating disorder it's like he he eats all those cookies and he's not even eating them his mouth is so sewed so up and it's like so dumb right it's like it's like the dumbest yeah. observation but like in my mind that was what stephen wright was doing yeah you know what i mean yeah. it was like writing all down and then i would and then and then when i was in college there was a funniest person on campus contest and what years were you in college 96 through 2000 so you're younger than me yeah i'm 44 okay, okay. yeah yeah yeah. so yeah. like so so then jesus I, christ i that's crazy so I keep going i'm sorry i'm trying no, to put no. a timeline on when i first met you <clears throat> yeah I first, yeah I, first, I, was, first, I was probably first in my I, 20s first time i saw you do stand-up i was working the door at the boston comedy club yeah and that was got to be like 99 2000 i'm like yeah it was 2000 because i moved to new york in 2000 yeah yeah, so like, and you were one of the guys that were were instantly funny. Like I, I was that is not, so nice of you. You were like just the second you got on stage, you're like, yeah, he's a comic. Like you're, you're oh, like, like that's so I was nice. I was in the group that you're like, yeah, he's figuring it out. Like Demetri <laughs> Martin, Demetri yes. Martin, second he got on stage, instantly funny. You go, that guy is hilarious. It's funny because I appreciate that because I I had sort of a rough go of it in New York in the sense that like like it was like that era was tough guy era. Of comedy, so you had like Patrice and Burr and and Colin Quinn, like the tough crowd, Norton, the tough Bob crowd, yeah. Kelly, and they're yeah. killers. They're great comics, but they're like, if you're a young comic, they would crush you I, at I, the comedy I, cellar table. I listened to you on uh, Opie and Anthony one time, oh, God. and it was maybe my favorite thing I've ever listened to because it was it was like it was like almost like um, you remember a kid being a kid and you'd see. You'd, you'd be with your friends and your one friend had older brothers and all the older kids would come and they'd fucking beat them up oh, they just and they jump him me. and you just sit on the side and go am i next yeah yeah am I, are they gonna get yeah. me next and then they leave you'd be like "Ooh, that was a close call yeah. and your friend's like that fucking sucked yeah i saw you on there and i wanted to be on opie and anthony so bad yeah and nick DePaulo was fucking horrific to you yeah. like brutal that and, it was, and it was and it was and i was sitting there going like I don't think I want to do Opie and Anthony. Oh God, <laughs> no, they they wrecked me, and then they would really wreck me at the club. Like Patrice used to, like I would walk in. Patrice O'Neill, one of the great comics. I mean, like brilliant comic, brilliant, <laughs> and, brilliant, very very complex person, very complex, very, complex. very and also very mean, just like <laughs> full on extremely yeah. mean. <laughs> like I, no one ever does that in the documentaries about him. <laughs> He would, I would come into the comedy store and he'd go, Big Headlia. Big Headlia. He goes, Big Headlia. You got a big ass head. And I would just go, Patrice, you have the biggest head I've ever seen. Your head is like three times the size of my head. And he'd be like, Big Headlia. And it was like, his key was, I'm shouting. Yeah. His key was, he shout over you so yeah. you, no one could even hear what your response oh. was. He brutalized. He would. He brutalized wreck me. Todd Berry one time oh. outside of a club, and I was like, "I'm just sitting there going, 
Yeah, he was. He was. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we'll circle back to those guys because in the timeline, like so. Yeah. So so I so I see Stephen Rice are writing down jokes. I go to Georgetown. I get I audition for the improv group because I wanted to do stand up and sketch. They yeah. didn't have that. There's improv. I don't know what improv is. I audition, get in. I'm like, literally, one of the most pivotal. Again, you're talking about luck. One of the most pivotal moments of my entire life. Oh my God, you're telling me there's 10 people who are the funniest people I've ever met in my life and we all get to hang out all the time yeah. and like party and improv? Like, what, the, what is this? This is unbelievable. So then I'm doing improv and then there's the funniest person on campus contest. I win that. Nick Kroll was in it. I met Jesus. Nick and we become friends. I say, you should audition for the improv group. He does. I, ca- I was the director. I cast Nick a couple of years after, a year after I graduated, he wow. cast uh, John Mulaney. Wow. So what there was fucking, like, what like a cool. So then me and John and Nick are all friends. And then when, when Mulaney moves to New York, I was doing stand up, And so I take him on the road. So we spent a couple of years working the road together. And then, yeah. And then like, and then I just, I basically what happened was that I graduated from college. I want to be a screenwriter. I want to make movies. But that's not really a job that there's an application for. <laughs> like, you, and so was were you writing when you, when what were you doing? Like, I'm curious. 2000, you just first moved to New York. Yeah. What were you? What? How? What was the? What was? What did your life look like? Were you? Doing, I, was, I was. I was living in Queens on an air mattress in a shared apartment. That's another, not the picture I thought. Isn't that crazy? Guy. What was your? What I don't know. I just, my, my my existence was fairly nice. Like like really? But, yeah. And I assumed. I assumed like everyone had like I you know when you you feel like oh I got a tough life yeah and then you you go everyone else is doing good like Kevin Hart I thought he had a I thought he was like oh he's got a have a, a penthouse and right and yeah he was in living with his parents in oh, Philadelphia yeah. driving back and forth driving back and forth yeah, I remember that Keith. with Kev yeah it's so funny I'm, I, and then I look back in hindsight and I had it pretty easy I was living down by the village right uh, I was that living in the village and uh, working at Barnes and Noble was the roughest I had it but. Yeah, that's not but, bad. Yeah, it's not the that Union bad. Square location. Yeah, yeah. But did you? It's like it's also. Did you? I, I was one of the. I remember Chappelle saying. Remember when you got to first grade and you were like, "Do all these kids know each other?" <laughs> like, that's funny. <laughs> you uh, do all these kids know each other? But you were so plugged in right away. I was like, God, man, how come these people are? They're, they're like, I felt like you knew everyone. You were like working right away. Like I was. I remember being very impressed by, by you, Kevin Hart, and. Uh, and uh dimitri maybe you're saying no dimitri yep dimitri's a perfect he example. was a little bit before me but yeah yeah some dimitri and i started on the same day oh no kidding yeah so bot that's so funny because yeah he used to work the boston comedy club a lot yeah he used to work the seller a lot yeah but like i was sort of plugged in it right away but this is a lucky thing too i opened for my final week this is like this is like me in a nutshell i was like my final week of college everyone went to senior week yeah when they partied at the beach and I opened for Brian Regan and Dennis Regan at the DC Improv, oh, and wow. and like I wow. chose I chose to do that instead of going, you know, because I just you know I was so focused. I was like, once I I just treated it like a job because my you know my dad's a doctor, super serious, never wanted me to be a comedian at all. Yeah, I mean, st- my parents still kind of don't get what I do. Like they kind of get me. <laughs> they kind of they, they're nice about it, but like it's not a fit. My dad doesn't understand it at all. <laughs> I remember him one time going, I, I wish I could give you some sort of advice. I oh don't know what, I don't even know what you do really. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, 
Yeah. So, so my what kind of doctor is your dad? The neurologist. He's a retired neurologist, but like, yeah. So, and my mom's a retired nurse, but like, but, but so, so, so I moved to New York and, uh, and my parents, you know, didn't really want me to do it. And, uh, and so I, oh, I had this drive of like, I got to figure this out fast, right? It's a certain type of person that gives up senior week. Right. Senior week. Yeah. To open up for Brian Regan in yeah. 2000. Yeah. 99. Yeah. 99. 99. That, yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. Not, that's that by that way, or, just so we yeah, all put man. that in perspective. That's pre. It's before that is, he's doing theaters. That's before he's doing theaters, before he's doing his Comedy Central Presents. Yeah. He did his Comedy Central Presents, I think, in 2002, probably 2001. Something like that, yeah. 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 So I opened for Brian, who I always had loved and always thought was amazing, and Dennis, who's also amazing, his brother. And at the end of the week, I, I you know, I said, I'm moving to New York, and, and, and Dennis, so nice, another kindness of strangers moment. He goes, I'm going to call Esty at the Comedy Cellar. I'm going to call Chris Mazzilli at Gotham. I'm going to call Lucian at the Comic Strip up East Side. Did the call, made those calls. Really? Said, this guy's funny. And and then I, and then I made those calls. And yeah. And so then I started the first place I worked was the comedy, Comic Strip. <clears throat> and Lucian, uh, who's, who's no longer with us and was, I thought, kind of an amazing person, he booked you know, the club in the seventies and eighties Seinfeld yeah, and like yeah. all these like, you know, he, he passed Chris rock, you know, he pa yep. you know, passed like legendary people. He told and me to quit comedy. <laughs> <laughs> he said, so not he, only are you not funny, I don't see a oh possibility of you being funny. So, so he gets it. So we're talking about a guy who gets it. He's tapped into the frequency. He told me to quit comedy. He told a bunch of people to quit comedy. I mean, in fairness, like the first time I auditioned for him, he goes, well, I already have Jim Gaffigan and Todd Berry. Like, oh. I don't need you. You know, and I was like, oh, yeah. snap. Like, uh, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like this I already guy. have Jim Gaffigan. <laughs> what a fucking. I know. I mean, he was ruthless. What? He was. I mean, he yeah. said some ruthless shit to like a did, lot of people. Am I, am I crazy? But didn't you get the? Were, did you get your assessment in like a phone booth or something? <laughs> something like that. It was that, like yeah, a really yeah. tiny room that I, yep. I remember him talking. That's right. About. It was a sound booth. Yeah, sound, sound booth. booth yeah. yeah, sound booth. Tiny. It was like a. Phone, yeah. it looked like a phone booth. Oh man, that was I was a brutal. I walked out of that club and I was like, and, and you had to, in order to get up in front of him, you had to get in line. I had to get in line. What was your criticism? What did he say to you? Uh, I, not only are you not funny, I don't even see. <laughs> prospects of you being funny like i don't know if that's in your future at all oh my and i was God. like i was like what I, I heard that a lot <laughs> i was like yeah. I'm, i've already moved to new york to do this and my, he was like mm, don't my brother joe told me a story the other day that i had forgotten which is i met with william morris when i first moved to new york and they and it was me and joe and, and my brother joe and these two guys scott and brian and they go uh yeah we just don't see a path for this thing oh wow like we just don't see it. All right. I guess this is over. I yeah. Guess this okay. conversation. Yeah. We're not gonna be friends. <laughs> I was I'm told just... by. Do you remember? Do you remember? Um, thanks, buddy. Do you remember um, Louis Schaefer? Yeah. Louis Schaefer told me. Uh, worked at Caroline's, I think. He worked at the Boston Comedy Club. He worked uh, okay. at Door. Yep. And he would say. He said to me the first time I met him. He said, "I said, can you give me some advice on like." like what i should do how i should go about my career and he said can i give you some real advice i said yeah and he goes move back to florida oh my god and i was like i'm a little late for that i have a rent i have like 
I'm, I'm sorry gonna, I'm yeah. laughing so hard. <laughs> I'm not being gratuitously laughing. Not at all. Because this is, these stories are great. Oh, I love failure. But you gotta have like the, the it, like. Yeah, you love like, the hard knocks stuff. Yeah, there, I mean, look, it's there's great. A, Ashton Kutcher came here and he was in LA for six days before he got yeah. his TV show. It just clicked. It's, and so, and not everyone gets that. Uh, like, like Chris Pratt. I heard the same thing about Chris Pratt. Yes. He just, well, he got found. Crazy story. What? He was in Hawaii. He was like, he was like living in Hawaii. He was like a kind of like a beach bum kind of thing. And like the, someone had like one of his customers or something was like, Hey, you should be in movies. And was like, come back and be in this thing. And then like he moved to LA. It's a crazy story. Those, those, everyone gets those stories. Then there's other people that are like, just get no and no. And I'm, I've always, I've consistently felt like an outsider in Hollywood. Yeah. Even with the amount of success that I have had, I still feel like an outsider. And oh yeah like I, I never went to montreal knowing anyone i always went to montreal going who is that person but i think the secret is after i mean i mean being in my 40s now i can see it's like there is no inside yeah i there just don't think there is one yeah no there is i mean this is the inside yeah <laughs> like, you and me talking is sort of the inside i don't know so so wait so how when did you start doing the road okay so so moved to new york so the thing is, when I when I won the contest at Georgetown, oh, yeah, yeah. one of the prizes was <laughs> it was a two hundred dollar check that was like the size of like a human being, <laughs> like the size of a coffin, which cost seventy five dollars. Yeah, it cost seventy five dollars. <laughs> of course it did. And then and then to perform at the DC Improv, and like once, yeah, to open for someone, I opened for it was Dave Chappelle coming through town, and Fucker. and it was he was twenty four, I was like nineteen. And yeah, yeah. and uh, he was a headliner. I mean, he was 24 years old, the guy's a headliner. This was before Chappelle's on everything. And uh, yeah, he's a killer, amazing he comic. Was, he was, I mean, he is an amazing comic. He is an amazing comic. But back, even, then, even back then, back then, he was so stand apart from the everyone he was else. Obliterate. He was yeah. obliterated. So, so, so then I was like, I had like night of my life. I'm like, I did okay with the audience. His crowds are great. He was nice. Like, like I was like, this is great. And I said to the club owner, like, this guy, John, like, I'd love to be an opener here and blah, blah, blah. And they're, they're like, um, we don't have spots. There's not, there's no availability, but you should go to the open mic in Virginia at the Best Western. And you can work here at the door, like bringing nachos to people's tables really? and like bringing people to their seats. So I did that for three years. I worked at the DC Improv as a door person, which I know you were a door person the too. door person at the Boston Comedy Club. <clears throat> and, and so I did that for three years. So by the time I graduated from college, I understood, I, I mean, you see what people's checks are. Yeah. So you're going, all right. So the MC makes like 300 bucks, 250. The, the middle act makes like five, 600 bucks, maybe. Yeah. Headliner makes anywhere between $1,000 and like, you know, 20,000, you know, like a lot yeah. of money. Yeah. I remember seeing like someone's check and going like, wow, this, this person makes a, like that's a chunk of change do you remember who that person was yeah it was, I, it was, it was, it was i'll it was, say my name to you and you will edit it out no no we can keep this because i won't okay. say how much it is okay, but yeah. i remember like i remember i called my brother and i go i go joe i'm gonna be a road comedian because i'm looking at this and i can live on 300 a week as the mc yeah i can live on that i'll just li i'll just eat cheap eat cheap whatever middle act 500 bucks a week i can easily live on that and then it was like brian regan was like this is like seven thousand dollars right and i was like seven thousand dollars are you kidding me 
And um, for a weekend. Yeah. Eight shows, seven yeah. shows. You know, it was a yeah. full week, so yeah, Tuesday but, through Sunday. But like you, but that's back. a chunk of change. Yeah, that's a chunk of change, and 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 in comedy, especially like you're starting, you go, they make seven thousand dollars. Are you kidding me? And and I call my brother. I go, and this is how naive you have to be. I think in anything that's like a long shot, comedy is a long shot. Being an entrepreneur is a long shot. All this stuff, but you have to be a little bit naive. You have to be a little delusional. And I go, Joe, that is, oh, is over Brian Ring. He made seven thousand dollars. He goes. I, I go, that, that's what I'm going to do. And he goes, yeah, but that's Brian Regan. I go, yeah, I'm going to be like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be like that. Yeah, it's, that's that's it's, what I'm going to do. Yeah, it's like seeing Michael Jordan being yeah. like, yeah, I'm going to do like that. Yeah. Hey, you know, they're giving the shoes. Shoe, you can't, I have my own shoe line. <laughs> now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How we care for our minds affects how we experience life. Don't you want to have a great life? If you want to have a great life, you're going to have to feel like you deserve a great life. You're going to feel like you, <clears throat> you need to feel like you have earned that great life. And sometimes with mental health problems, that can get in the way of just really honest to God feelings that you should have. That's why you need better help online therapy. I've been in therapy for, well, I don't know, since I met Leanne, in and out at times. I personally rather video uh, therapy. Online therapy for me is easier, it streamlines life, and it helps me kind of keep in check what I need to keep honest about. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with your therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash BERT. That's betterhelp.com slash Bert. I am a tobacco guy. I'm a big tobacco guy. Dipping is a ritual I truly enjoy, but maybe you don't necessarily love everything about the traditional chewing tobacco. Having a talk with your buddies, fishing, watching a baseball game. You're looking for an alternative. There's alternatives for everything. What about high-quality, nicotine-free tobacco alternatives? Let me introduce you to Black Buffalo. If you're 21 and over, you dip or chew tobacco, pouches or long cut, you have to try this tobacco alternative, Black Buffalo Zero. It's everything you love about dipping, just made without the actual tobacco leaf, stem, or nicotine. It is dip, literally made from edible green leaves and food-grade ingredients with the same flavors, textures, and aromas that you know and love. No compromise. They've got wintergreen. They've got mint. They've got straight. They've got peach. They even have blood orange. And if you're seeking that calm little tingling with your dip, then check out their regular product line as well comes in long cut pouches and if you're forgetful get a subscription delivered straight to your door born in the midwest raised in the south their product proudly manufactures here in the u.s i've tried black buffalo zero i fucking love it i throw one in on the tour bus after a few drinks and that same ritual of when you put in your dip and that's your last drink and then you go to bed man it happens for me it's fantastic it's 2022 are you still dipping traditional tobacco or those little white portion things if so and you're 21 it's time to get with Black Buffalo Zero. It's everything you love about dip, just without the actual tobacco leaf stem or nicotine. Head to blackbuffalo.com, use promo code BIRD at checkout for 15% off your first order. That's the best offer you'll find, but you have to use my code BERT for 15% off your first order. One last time, that's promo code BERT for 15% off your order. I saw, edit his name out because I don't want to... 
Oh yeah. And uh huge, huge draw in that era. Yeah, and his I saw his check. He showed it to me one oh, night. Gosh. And it was sixty seven thousand oh dollars. You gotta be kidding me. And I remember thinking uh. to myself, if you could have that life, like that yeah. that would have to be spectacular. It's crazy. It's insane. It's insane. But but I remember but but the, the road was different. Like It's interesting to me. What's fascinating to me is that guys like you, Daniel Tosh, um, you guys were all working when a lot of us didn't know you could. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what I did, it was like I was working at the Washington, D.C. improv, and so I would see Rodax come in. Yeah. So I'd ask him, how do you do this? And they go, you call these bookers. You know, in, in the Midwest, like there's a million of these people who book – Best Westerns and Ramada Inns, like a Ramada Inn. You were, doing, you were a road dog way before anyone even knew yeah. how to. Yeah, it's like they're doing, a, they, there's a, a comedy night at Ramada Inn on a, on a Wednesday, and it, they pay you 150 bucks to do a half hour. Yeah, I'll do that. Where yeah. is it? West Virginia. All right. And, I, and then I would Google map and go, oh, that's 19 hours away. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would do it. I wouldn't cancel. I wouldn't do it. I mean, the, mo- the, the amount of times that the gas cost more than the gig paid yeah, was yeah. so many times. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, mean, I was just running deficits on credit cards like crazy. I used to do a gig in Sacramento, and I used to be a feature. And it was like, I think it was like fucking 500 bucks for the weekend at Laughs Unlimited. Oh, wow. And you had to put yourself up. And oh, I drive yeah. back and forth. Yeah. And I remember my wife, I had done it like 10 times. And my wife's like, you know, we lose money when you do this. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I was like, well, I'm, my hope is that I'll headline one day. And she goes, and if you don't, I was like, I'll be cool featuring. I was a fucking, yeah. I was a, I used to love featuring. Featuring's the best. Oh. If people don't know, in a typical comedy club situation, you got an MC, you got a feature, you got a headliner. 15 minutes at the front, 30 minutes for the feature, and about 45 to an hour for the closer. That 25 to 30 minute slot is the most cherry slot in all of comedy, period. Some people get stuck there for life. Yeah. Some people go get stuck there for life. And it it's hard to it's hard. I remember working for Daniel Tosh with Daniel Tosh. And I was like, this is the best. I remember being like, this is the best gig ever. I really enjoyed Daniel's stand-up. Yeah. But like I got to do 25 minutes, 20 minutes murder yeah and then drink beer and watch him and i was like i had that with hedberg in dayton ohio the joker's comedy club god it was like greatest greatest one of the greatest weeks of my life he was he was i was telling someone the other day he was another road dog by the way yeah he was hit the road hard cold called you know with a phone book called Mm -hmm. comedy clubs it was that was what was so impressive when i started doing the road and finding out who had done the road because i didn't start doing the road until Really, honestly, I think I, I had kids, I feel like. Yeah, I definitely had a kid. I definitely had a kid. I didn't start headlining until I had Georgia. So probably 2004 or five is when I started headlining. And and then you get out there, and I remember your name would come up. They're like, oh, Probiglia. Uh Joe Coy was yep. doing the road. He's been out there a long yeah, time. Uh, uh, and, and then you'd work with people. And you, I remember... Tommy Jonigan, you know Tommy Jonigan? Love him. I, I I met him when he was like 18 years old. He was. He opened for me in like a really tough room in like Springfield, Missouri. 
yeah he like was really tough was room with a like a monster like a pool table in the back and like like a like people are like playing like ping pong and stuff like it's what's so crazy about like your journey is you know you go from it starts in those rooms but now then you're putting on the most acclaimed one-man shows uh plays movies that that are 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 really honestly like ira glass sensibility if that makes sense yeah like ira glass is a really smart dude yeah and i remember he watched me do stand-up i was watching him scratch his head like going why does he give his shirt off? Like, no, I think Ira likes you though. No, he does. He's spoken yeah. really. No, no, yeah, 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 talked yeah, to him yeah. about you before. Yeah, but I remember really watching him and he was like, "This is bizarre." It was almost <laughs> like it was like if you could watch a gorilla juggle, you'd be like, "I know that I shouldn't be staring." Like I made a gorilla laugh one time. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So, but um, but I'm so. Did you jump into colleges at that point? Yeah, that was actually that allowed me to give up my day job, which was like temping. I was like temping and uh doing other like random odd jobs in new york so like lucian who called you uh not funny and never capable of being funny ever <laughs> <laughs> by the way i think he died accurate i think he, in in his lifetime i never got any success oh my God. so i think he was right on that one so so i was like working clubs in new york and in in lucian to his credit i mean like he took me on as my manager never really took a dime from me like literally didn't didn't invoice me i was making so little yeah. money you know what i mean i think he was waiting for the big the big rig to come in yeah and it but but it was really nice and and then he introduced me uh to, to this great college agent kate mcgill and she took me to these naca conferences where you perform for all these college kids in these big conference centers and if you kill you can fill up your calendar and I and I killed and I I I was I I worked, you know, I remember those years I would work like 30, 40, 50 colleges a year, sometimes God. more. I mean, Daniel Taj used to work 150 a year. He he would run the table. I mean, he would I would be see him at NACA's and it would be like his year was full of college performances. Me and Gary G Goldman one time uh saw his calendar and I said uh and I was like, we were like, I, I mean, we we couldn't get, we couldn't get feature work. Yeah. And, and Daniel Tosh had a gig every night of the week. It seemed like. Yeah. And I remember running into him at the Improv, and I was like, "You work nonstop." He's yeah. like, "He's like, I have a mortgage." And I was like, "You own a house?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he was really, he really got ahead of it. But, but yeah, so I was working colleges, and then, and then another like lucky thing, I did, I got Montreal when I was twenty three. New new phases. And what year is this? Is this before like chicken or after chicken? 2002, after chicken. Yeah. So chicken was like, for the listeners, a famous story. Guy goes to Montreal and named, he, he's called chicken. He does this kind of insane act. Insane. And then everybody throws money at him from all these networks to give him a sitcom. And it, and he and then it just falls apart, I guess. Like, I, yeah. I think he's nowhere to be found. No, he killed himself. Oh, never mind. <laughs> See, here, I knew him. I knew see, him. See, I, I, bet, I didn't see, know him very well. I, I had been looking for him. <laughs> Thanks for clearing this up. No, I feel I'm sorry. To no, no, his, he's. Uh, I actually want. I would if if I I would love to see a documentary on him. Yeah, he's, he's a really he's from Dunellen, which in in Florida I think Dunellen is like redneck. Oh, is that right? Like, yeah, and his family was very redneck. He did a reality show called Raising the Roofs. His name was Michael Roof. And so he did a, doc, a, a, a reality show called Raising the Roofs, and he had, like, real 
backcountry like family members and and they all moved out to la and he was in the movie triple x with vin diesel oh. and he was in black hawk down i you know it's funny i got i got my pop in hollywood my heat the first time i ever got heat my first deal was at the same time frank caliendo got his deal and chicken got his deal oh. we all got deals at the same, same time. time and so we all came out to la wait so what year was that because uh, that cause... It was my, my 26th birthday uh no i got it i on my 26th birthday i started stand up on my 26th birthday six months later i got a deal it was in the 90s yeah 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 20 it's <clears throat> it's off my, my numbers are off because i moved to new york when i was 25 and i started stand up for the first time with dimitri at the boston comedy club yeah. but then didn't do anything okay i like, couldn't get on didn't do anything and then i got a really pivotal speech from my dad on my 26th birthday okay and that night i got started working the door at the boston comedy club so oh, i count cool. that as my real start day um and then and then so what about i was born in 1972 <laughs> what year was 26 26 years old what year is that halston 98 98 so it was 98 yeah. when when everyone got those deals yeah and then around 98 that, 99 there was so there's chicken and then there's ray romano got a huge deal from new faces he yeah. got his show it was a big uh, worldwide pants right yeah yeah and so so like there's all these this lore of like chicken and and ray romano all these people going to montreal doing new faces becoming a star you know a star or killing themselves uh <laughs> no, but uh did you get a deal out of montreal uh no no as a matter of fact i i i i i I did really well, uh, and I went out. I came out to LA for the first time, and I was like, "I've made it." And my agent at the time, this woman Renee, was like, "You're gonna get a deal." And then I took all these meetings. And I'm like, "I'm gonna get a deal," and I would take the meetings, and in every meeting, they go, "You're gonna get a deal." I swear to God. Yeah. And I, and I, I take meetings like five a day. My friend Jordan drive me around every meeting i can't afford a car you know it's like yeah. my friend jordan who lives here at the end of it i'm flying home and it's occurring to me i think i didn't get a deal <laughs> meanwhile i'm on the phone with like my family being like i'm gonna get a deal fuck yeah. you you yeah. know what i mean like like this is the new me yeah i'm a sitcom i'm gonna be a sitcom star and then i have to eat that but then the thing that came out of montreal that was real and substantive was that Eddie Brill saw me and goes, I think you I think there's a Letterman set in there. And so I started working on a Letterman set with him. And then I did Letterman when I was 24. And that changed my life. Yeah. It changed my life because it was like all of a sudden I met I met my agent, Mike Berkowitz, who was I was his, Are you still with yeah, Mike Berkowitz? Yeah. Nice. Me and Greg Geraldo were his first clients. Really? Or, yeah, yeah. And and now, of course, he books, you know. Burr and Mulaney and yeah, Kevin Hart. I mean, like the who's who of yeah. the who's who of comedy is, is Mike Berkeley. He 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 runs comedy. <laughs> he's in charge. He, he he's uh, he's very hands on. I'll tell you that he's not my agent, but I get texts from him. He's very hands on. You do you really? Oh yeah, that's I'll hilarious. You, I'll show you my Mike Berkowitz texts. <laughs> Are they bad? No, they're not bad. It's it's uh, no he no I like Mike. I like Mike a lot. I'm afraid of him, and I'm his client. Yeah. Um, he's, <laughs> <laughs> the first time i met him i was at uh i i did the i guess i maybe i did the beacon or something yeah and uh i think i don't really remember oh no i did town uh what's the town hall Town hall's great yeah. new york i did yeah. town hall it was the first time i did new york ever played new york yeah and uh 
I was fucking hammered after it, oh. high shit and drunk. And he came up and wanted to talk business to me. And I was like, Mike, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I like Mike Ber- Berkowitz. I like I like those guys over there. But I got lucky because he was he was like running. He was booking comics in the, another manager's office. And Rick Dorfman's office. You remember Rick? I do remember Rick yeah. Dorfman. I loved Rick Dorfman. Yeah. And uh yeah. And so I and so I was Mike was like selling me to comedy clubs as like youngest guy to ever do Letterman. I don't think it was true. <laughs> like, I don't think I was. Like what yeah. we tried no, to yeah, it doesn't matter. We tried the branding's to, right. there. No, we tried to look it up once, and I think it was Bobcat Goldthwaite and Dave Chappelle. I think they were like in the universe of like being like 21 maybe or 22. I was 24. Well, eight youngest famous people to have heart attacks. Oh Jesus! Hit that, David Letterman. <laughs> <laughs> oh like God! Kelsey Grammer. Oh, he he's 53. <laughs> Doesn't seem young to me. I mean, I guess. So is that wait? He didn't have a. I thought he got shot in his bed. Kelsey Grammer. Wait, Kelsey oh, yeah. Grammer's still alive. Yeah, I think he's still. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. A, yeah. Right, um, I don't need this list. I don't <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, so we were running with this narrative that, which is all the marketing is the narrative. It's oh, like uh, my, my my marketing was um, Barry Katz was my manager when I when I got that deal. Yeah, and I got a deal working the door, and he convinced me to continue working the door <laughs> yeah. because he thought it was a good story. The guy works the door. Oh, that's fun. The st- yeah, that's not bad, actually. It's not bad. I, I, well, I continued working the door, and I was like, when, when am I going to be a real comic? <laughs> when am I going to not do like, this? Yeah, when am I, I kind of want to just call him for spots. But um, but I, 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 could, I had to work the door during the weekdays, and then on the weekends, I could do spots on the weekends. Yeah. But I remember, uh, uh, yeah, I was – the the. I remember the story. I wonder if the story was more about Barry and less about me. Because he was yeah. like, I mean, this is how great my club is. I'm, I walk in, the, the door guy's got a deal. Like, yeah. And I was like, the door, my name's Bert. Like, what? That's so but, funny. But, so I don't know if the story was more <laughs> about him. And he, because he was like the deal maker for a while. I mean, he he had fucking. You know my Barry Katz story? And it's not much of a story, but but one time he wanted to see who was working the club. And I was working the club at the time. I was like 23. And I was like, I was kind of like a. I was annoying, I think. Like, I think I was I early when I was young. I was like, I was sometimes a little cocky. I was chewing gum on stage, like chewing gum while I was doing my set. And he comes up to me, out. He's, he's like, uh, kind of like watching who's working the club. Comes up to me and goes, You chewing gum during the set, huh? I go, Yeah. He goes, All right. And then I never spoke to him again. <laughs> chewing gum during the set. All right. And it was like, but yeah, I, I think like, that was a weird era for me. Cause like, so I did Letterman and then, you know, what happened is with those tough guys, like the tough crowd guys yeah. who I'm, I feel like I'm cool with all those guys now, like, is like, they all kind of hated me a little bit or, yeah. a, or a lot or, or a lot. And, and then by the way, and these are all, all our friends. Yeah. They're, I mean, like when I talk, I'm friends with Nick DiPaolo. I, I've, I like, I had him on something's burning. I I I loved oh, yeah. him. I love Colin. All those guys. Oh, I love. Yeah, Colin. yeah, yeah. But like, there was. I got my. I got a deal when I was working the door, and Patrice came over by himself. I'm at the front, and he just walks up to me. He goes, I "Heard you got a deal," 
And the one thing Barry Katz said is, do not tell anyone for That's how much so money. That's so funny. It is. That's hilarious. Do not tell a soul how much money it is. There's $125,000. Oh my gosh. That's a and lot I said, of money. Uh, and I said, yeah. And Patrice goes, how much? I said, oh, yeah. I don't want to tell you. He goes, 100. And I went, Patrice. He goes, 125. And my eyes lit up. He goes, 125. Oh, okay. God, and he just walked so away. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So those guys, like, so I did Letterman, which was great for the road. Yeah. But then, like, tough in New York. Yeah. Because it was like, those guys were like, not loving that they hadn't done Letterman, but I had. That was like a lot. They, there was, and I, I think I'm respectful in saying this. That group was anti ambition. Very much so. Anti ambition. If and you're anti- trying, it's not cool. Yeah. Yeah. There was that whole back and forth with Dennis Leary and Greg Giraldo on Tough Crowd. Yeah. Where Dennis Leary goes, and I, and I love both of these guys, but Dennis Leary goes, What are you writing jokes? You know what and I mean? Craig Jones like, yeah, that's yeah. the gig. That's what we're doing here, man. That's what we get paid to do. Yeah, it's a really fun face Maybe you should have done that more for your TV show. Yes. And that was a fucking it was amazing. A, it was amazing. I, I remember watching that live. I remember watching that. Me too. I mean, I watched Same. it. I, I watched it in my, I had Georgia on my lap. Oh my gosh. And I was like, what the fuck? Geraldo literally is like, Geraldo is so nice to me. Never not nice to me once ever. I yeah. saw him like days before he went and it was so sad. Um. One of the funniest comics, I think, in the last 30, 40 years. One I mean, of the like, sweetest dudes. In and one of the sweetest people. Yeah. It b- bums me out. He's one of the ones that, like, he's the reason I don't take Xanax. I mean, I take Xanax. What am I talking about? But, like, I don't, like, I don't party. <laughs> like, I take a Xanax, like, as needed in, like, a legit right. anxiety, anxiety situation. situation like, yeah. there's times where I go, I'm on the road, and I was like, I'd love to take a Xanax this morning. Just let that day smooth yeah. out. If I don't, because I think his death was, like, Ugh. I don't know. But, um, but. I don't know. Yeah. So, so then how, how so old then I was working the road yeah. and then, and then I had this big break, which is, uh, at that point, which is, uh, I, there was, I was going to DC to record a, a self-recorded album CD. It was called dog years. Oh, yeah. uh, and it was just like, okay, other comics on the road have CDs. I can record a CD. I have an hour of material. So I go to DC and I see in the paper, but they just announced Mitch Hedberg, Lewis Black, David Tell are doing the first ever Comedy Central live theater tour. And yeah. it's Warner Theater in D.C. And it's the week I'm going to be in D.C. I'm such a big comedy fan. I called Jeff Wills, who's booking the tour, who, who had booked me at the Sacramento Punchline and Sacramento, San Francisco Punchline. I go, Jeff, can you give me tickets to a show in D.C.? He goes, I'll do you one better. You can open up the show. We're just gonna give you like seventy five dollars. I swear to God, to do a th- to open a theater and for that. And that was the that was the that was the biggest fucking tour. That tour was unbelievable. Yeah. So and it was it was before this era of comedians playing theaters, right? And so I mean, all three of those guys, Lewis Black, David Tell, Mitch Hedberg, would end up playing theaters individually, yeah. and then it was three of them together. And so. I was like, I can open the show? Oh my God. And he goes, yeah, we just can't put you up and we can't, you know, we can't put you up and we can't get your travel. We were gonna get a local local opener. You can be a local opener. I go, oh my God, thanks. So I go and it goes, well, I go to Jeff. I go, I'll do any of these. Put me anywhere. Oh, I'll I'll, I'll pay for my air. This I'll, I'll pay, so I'll pay for my great. hotel. I'll do anything to be on this tour. Puts me at the Tower Theater in Philadelphia. Puts me at the Beacon Theater in New York City. 
Oh, and wow. I and I'm going up in front of the three best like living comedians. And and you you yourself, I would I would say at that time, w- one of the more competent comics. I mean, you were fucking hilarious. Yeah, it was, I was pretty good. So like putting that scenario, you were fucking probably destroying. It was good. And so then like I was at the Beacon Theater and Comedy Central. All the executives were there. So they go like this guy's good like why doesn't he's a young guy why don't we give him like a college tour so they did, we did the first ever comedy central live college tour it was called the medium man on campus tour oh, and right around that time mulaney was opening for me uh, at clubs he just moved to new york and i'm and, and I'm, I'm kind of impressed i'm, I'm kind of impressed in all of this i wonder if anyone listening is in just how many fucking goats you've worked with like how many like there's a lot like, of people i mean like i'm so impressed by like hedberg Chappelle, attell lewis black and then and then and then when you talk about the tale of it is nick kroll mulaney like you i mean there's you 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 yourself are one of the most prolific comics of our generation for 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 just the amount of diverse work you've put out but your work also Oh, like nice. you've done so much cool shit you you seem you're like you it seems like you never saw you don't you don't see parameters on this business which i love but more importantly the stuff you do is is always seems five years before anyone else is trying to do something uh, like that thanks i but, mean i feel like that's true somewhat and then some shit i feel like i'm way behind but no but i mean like i'm fucking amazed at this story but keep going so you got so i so i'm so so i get this comedy central college tour and then i was I was at uh, I was at Zaney's Comedy Club in Nashville. Mulaney's opening for me. Mulaney and I are good friends at that point. You know, he's like 23 and he's crushing in clubs. Like Mulaney was like always funny. Yeah. Like he was he wasn't funny for like one week ever. <laughs> like I think we talked about the story one time. Like uh, he opened for me in like Penguins in Iowa. Davenport. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. No, no. Cedar Rapids. Cedar Rapids. Yeah. In the basement there and like. Nan was he, the uh, no no the Cedar Rapids wasn't Nan Nan was Davenport yeah and he and it was like I think that was the first club week he ever worked and um he always tells this story but he just like didn't it just didn't quite work and at the end of the week I go I just go you know how like fret with friends you can be candid with them yeah. in a way that professionally you can't always be candid with them I just go John like if you're gonna open for me yeah you have to uh, do well with the audience yeah. you have to figure out how to kill yeah and the next time we went out he killed and from that point on he was destroyed I and saw, it was crazy like he was just a phenom i saw tom segura bomb the hardest i've seen any individual bomb this is my favorite is my favorite bombing story we did last unlimited she said the lady that was booking it said you can bring your own i, I said can i bring my own feature she goes, you know, I, I usually don't let people because I can't promise they're funny. I go, this guy's really funny. I trust me. I work with him all the time. He's hilarious. So me and Tom drive up from L.A. And he and I t- maybe I tell him in the car, yeah, she didn't want me to bring my feature because she's afraid you're going to bomb. But you're not going to bomb. You're going to murder. Yeah. And so I think he gets in his head. So he goes up. This is when Tom had long hair. Not long hair, but long enough. And he combed it back. Yeah. Okay. And so... He goes up. I forget his opening joke. He's talking. He's. I've, we've talked about this before. And his. He calls a woman a cunt in the front row. His opening joke. 
Yeah. Look at this stupid cunt. Oh, I hate this. And, and just, and oh, it's like, it's already, everyone's like, you will not be winning oh, us back. Oh, my gosh. And he begins to sweat. He's really overweight at the time. He begins to oh, sweat. And gosh. his hair, this is the best way I can describe it. His hair starts to collapse on different sides and, and just fall as the sweat, as it falls in the sweat. And there's one little combed line that's holding its integrity. And the whole audience is watching as he talks in silence into a room. And all of a sudden, about 20 minutes into his set, he's so bad. It's bombing so bad. It falls. It goes, and the whole room goes, oh. oh now his whole head is soaking wet. It was the fucking. And he got off stage and he was like, was bad and i was like i think it's worse than you think oh <laughs> and God. she wanted to fire him and i was like no you can't he's he's trust me he'll do better next time next saturday friday show early show he murdered he killed the rest of the weekend but yeah. that fucking one bomb there's something about failure with comedians we love watching each other fail yeah and then talking about the failure oh. there's something about being in front of an audience and it not working just being like, I'm here to make you laugh. And then silence. And then yeah. you go, I'm going to head home. <laughs> that didn't go the way I thought it would. <laughs> but like, so, so with Mulaney, we were at uh, Nashville Zanies, And I just, they just gave me this college tour. And we go, we go, um, you know, we're, we're in the, we're in Music City. And so we're like, let's go look at tour buses. It's, so it's absurd. Yeah. We just go to these lots of tour buses because there's tons of them there yeah all the country acts and we just do tours of tours of of buses we look at the the 30 foot or we look at the 45 foot or whatever meet some drivers you know and then we're like let's do a tour bus for this college tour so i take john out on the college tour and we did like you know, we did like 45 days straight on a, we lived on a bus How together. fucking awesome. Yeah, it was cool. Is that, and you guys are young? Yeah, we were young, we are in our 20s. Yeah, it was. But weird. here's the, here's the, and I, and you, but you guys are also res, respectful individuals. So I'm sure you guys weren't just like slaying pussy left and right. No, but it was but you very, guys, but, it was very like, it was very uh, uneventful on that front because he was, for starters, he was sober. Like he had come oh. off of like he always talks in his early uh, acts about like how he was sober, like from college. Like he yeah, get black, he get blackout drunk in college. It's, it's the it's like I, I I don't know John very well. I know him well enough, but um, one before I knew him, one of the one of the things that made him sexy to me, like that, that I was like I was like this dude's badass was um that he would snort coke and listen to steely dan oh my God. and i'm fucked that that's yeah i just didn't what's crazy i didn't know that era of him at all like yeah. so he would talk about it on stage and it always felt abstract to me yeah like i was like that's good material like that's great but i just don't know so we would just i mean honestly like our, but, but you guys are two of the funniest individuals in our business how fucking awesome were those i mean like that's one of the things is when you're on a tour bus with other comics, you guys. But we would laugh so hard. Laughing. I mean, the funny thing about John that people don't sometimes realize is like, he's like a pitch perfect mimic. Like we would be in the we'd be on the bus and we'd be listening to like the new Dylan album or whatever. Like or yeah. you know, I'm trying to think of what it was at the time, like Modern Times maybe. He would do like a pitch perfect Dylan, 
Really? Yeah, and it wouldn't be like old Dylan. It wouldn't be like, yeah. hey, hey, hey. it wouldn't be like the hacky Dylan. Yeah. It would be like the, it would be like the, like it would be like the, the like really? older man Dylan. He's a great mimic. Like, like yeah. it, he doesn't do it in his act much. Yeah. But like he'll, like he's, when pressed, when pressed, like he just goes into voices and it's amazing. God. That's yeah, it's so amazing cool. when you find out like what, some people you do who are brilliant for known for being for one thing and they have another oh. thing too oh, segura is an amazing ventriloquist is that right Dude, no way um one of and he would never do it on stage no way but he is um <laughs> like i mean just an insane ventriloquist but he yeah. just you do know, you have something like that because i asked that on my podcast working it I out I, always, so. I say do you have a skill that no one knows about you have a talent uh i'm i have superior genetics <laughs> i'm i'm uh no i said i i always joke about this mickey mantle gene but i i operate i can operate at a different level than other people my whole life i've been able to like like just like tom challenged me in tennis i hadn't played tennis in fucking years yeah and he challenged me in tennis oh he said he played tennis and i just went i'll destroy you and he was like you've never seen me play and i said i don't, I don't need to i know i'll win really and he was like he was like well let's play and we played and I aced him, I think, 27 really? times. I have like a... Oh, that's a thing. I have like a legit D1 serve. Like I'm, I'm you but, really? But I'm really athletic. Wait, and it, people do you don't, play college sports? No, no, no. I was recruited to play baseball, and I left. Like, we like we were... we were. Uh, we don't want to watch the video. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's me. I, uh, yeah, I, I'm... Anyway, don't watch it. So, oh my God. We, like, we, we, we did... Uh, we did. We played those these ballparks for the yes, fully no, loaded tour, that. and uh, and I love that the team came out and they were like, "You want to take some batting practice?" Yeah. And I was like, "Fuck yeah!" And Atel was like, "I got a hundred bucks." Says he doesn't get a hold of one, and I had and I hit the fence in center field off a hop, oh and, and with no pace on the ball. Oh my god! And I I mean I was like, but but I joke about it because I joke about it with Rogan, like uh, yeah. But I know my I know myself. So I know myself athletically, and I know that I this is major I, though. I, is, I, what you're describing is a major talent. Well, no. So, like, it's frustrating because it was frustrating for some people. Like, Rogan has never, he's always been frustrated by it because I, I remember one time we were doing a podcast and, and we were talking about, I was like, yeah, I kind of want to maybe run a marathon. And he's like, yeah, that'll never happen. And I said, I could definitely run a marathon. And he goes, without training. And I said, I could do it tomorrow. No way. And he goes, impossible. I went out, partied, signed up for the LA Marathon, partied the night before, showed up, hung over as fuck, ran the LA Marathon. No training. That's what I'm We're gonna insert five minutes of silence in this part of the podcast because yeah. that's what my reaction is. Yeah, I did. I did. So this is where it's interesting. So I do this physical, this physical with this doctor that last week, and he says to me, he looks at my, he doesn't look at my blood work. I haven't got my blood work. He just looks at my vitals, takes my blood pressure. It's a tad bit elevated, but I think because I was nervous, and it, oh, I always get that way around with blood pressure readings if I don't do them myself. Yeah. Um. And he looks at my weight. I'm overweight. Asks me how much I drink. I tell him. And he's the first thing he says is, number one, I do not want you working out. And I went, I work out every day. Okay. And he goes, he goes mm, okay. Listen, someone like you, if you say, if you tried to run a marathon, I said, I ran a marathon. <sighs> and he went, okay. He goes, all right. Well, let's say you tried to do a triathlon. I said, I did a triathlon too. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, I go, I, I push it really hard. I had to pull out my phone to prove to him I work out. I get my heart rate probably in the 160s every morning at least 
I've hit 170. I don't don't like to be there. But I average about 140 for my majority of my workout. I bench 245. I'm I'm like, I'm in really good shape. I don't look it. I don't look it at all. Like, Like, no one thinks that I'll, that I'm in good shape. And so, when you Segura sees me play tennis and then yeah. he's like, wait, what the fuck is this? Yeah. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I joke around this Mickey Mantle gene, but like I legit can party my dick off, wake up and go out and play golf. Like I played, I played golf. I, I'm a, I'm a really good golfer. Random as fuck. Like just random. But I think it's also being white. You know, I'm good at a lot of white people sports like tennis, golf, swimming, like, sw- like I'm a legit swimmer. Like I can Real? legit swim. I talk about swimming in my show at length because that was the whole key to me sort of getting my fitness together because i was oh do you swim yeah i i swim every day because it's like i i i had i had diabetes i I reversed my diabetes i talk about this on the show reversed my diabetes i had bladder cancer when i was nine and i was 20 years old what yeah malignant tumor took it out hasn't come back very lucky very very uh and how did you know you had bladder cancer I had blood, blood, blood in my pee. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh and then I sleepwalked. I have REM behavior disorder. I jumped through a second story window, ended up with glass and all over my body. They did they stitches all everything and did all these sleep studies. And so I have I had type two diabetes, cancer, REM sleep behavior disorder. I had sleep apnea, I don't have it anymore. And I just have like a, I just have a laundry list of stuff that's that's wrong with me. But um but it's funny you should say that about your doctor saying, uh, w- you know, you couldn't run a marathon. I did. I was talking to a doctor recently who came to my show because I talk about all this medical stuff in my show. I played DC. I was talking to her about how people come up to me and say their sleepwalking stories all the time. And they mm-hmm. go, what should I do? As though I'm a doctor. Like, I don't know anything. Yeah. She said something really interesting. She goes, patients sometimes are the best people to talk to because they've lived it yeah doctors sometimes have one level of disconnect from the thing that they're diagnosing uh, i've had i've had i've had some severe issues that, that doctor in particular he was a very doomsday my cardiologist told me do not go do this do yeah not i'm telling you right now if you needed it if you needed these tests we would have ordered them already we would have uh, that's what i do don't do it run the marathon you mean no 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 my, my cardiologist i told him i was like oh i'm getting this con- this concierge physical it's like yeah you had to pay for it yeah and it get, you got all the tests and so like they tested my testosterone everything and oh, wow. so he was like my cardiologist said don't do it and i said why and he goes it's a waste of money and you're already here with me i already do an ekg on you if there was a problem i would i would have i we would have done something about it we would have ran it asked for those tests be made but you're you're going to be fine yeah so don't do it and i think in what i realized is this doctor didn't know me so his assessments are out of the blue it's like it's right. like i just walked in off the street right my cardiologist has known me for you know seven years yeah so my cardiologist is like no no i, I know you can run a i know you're you you like sports like you're like i love i i haven't swam in a while but what am i kidding like the other day we were in the pool and my trainer was like um, how long do you think you can try water for? I said, well, I know I can try it for 10 minutes. I think I can do longer. She was like, uh, 10 minutes is pretty hard. And I was like, mm, I don't think so. Yeah. So I did a live stream on Instagram. I tried to water for an hour. You, I was sw- like, you have a pool? Yeah. Can I swim in it? Yeah. Want to play Marco Polo? I need somewhere to swim laps. <laughs> it's not big enough to swim laps. <laughs> it's not? No, it's, it's, well, but I'm a little bit of a, so I'm a little bit of a diva when it comes to swimming. Like I, 
only swim, like I love swimming in public pools. Yeah. Like, and I I can't swim I laps. Too. I, I can't swim laps in like like Dane Cook has a pool. He does a he has like a harness that he swims in. Oh yeah. And and I was like, I I would do one of those tether things, but I have to swim in an Olympic, not Olympic, but like a like oh, a legit public pool. Because you're serious about it. Well, no, I no I no i'm not serious about it but i just i I don't like i couldn't do laps in my pool yeah part of it for me was part of swimming was i had type 2 diabetes like i have a lot of physical things how did you get by diabetes i don't know man i just think like heart you know you talk about like (laughs) like road vices my road vice is like just eating yeah eat so much i'm always amazed by guys like you who eat because you're not fat but I, I gained I gained a whole bunch of weight like in a period of my life. Like I gained like like I'm thir- I'm thirty five pounds lighter than I was like four years ago, five years For ago. For real? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I had to lose a whole bunch of weight. Yeah, I just uh, I I just I guess I hit it in certain places. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was hiding some weight. But like yeah, no, like I, I remember one time I was on the road, I played that that club. That still exists? I don't know. Yeah. So it was like this is like a really wild story about those owners. Remember that story? No. All right, maybe take this out. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Like, but no, I, I, I think they were like brothers, and they like had two clubs or the same name across, you know, and then they became like enemies. Oh, for it's real? Like, yeah, it's like a whole thing. Anyway, it, it's not worth going down that path because I just don't know the story well. But um, um, so one time I was in Kansas City and I was like, Kansas City barbecue so i'm there for five nights i do barbecue every day different barbecue i go to arthur's i do all the spots and i think my blood stopped like i think (laughs) i think i was like i think i'm gonna die like i I, everything in my body felt like it couldn't move yeah and i've never done that again like i've i've never done it where i binge a food in a city for five days straight but I do space it out. Yeah. Like if I, you know, if I go, you know, if I go to, uh, if I go to, if I go to Nashville, I'm gonna do hot chicken. Oh yeah, I have a hard time with that. So I have a hard time not doing the thing, the thing in yeah, that city, and like, and and I, uh, I'm really aggressive. <laughs> yeah. Like, like yeah, like when we go to a city, I I will be like, what's their thing? Yeah. And then I'll, I'll, give, I'll give our runner a hundred dollars and go go get a ton of it. I get Same. every fucking flavor. I will say like one thing about, you know, we're talking a lot about being a road comic and all this stuff. Like recommendation just in general for comedy people, non-comedy people, is like see this country. Oh my like, god. Like drive yes. around this country. It's not that expensive yeah. of a country to travel around just in a car. Mm-hmm. And because it's a gorgeous, you're gonna fall. You're gonna fall in love with places you never yes. thought you'd fall. I love it's, Ohio. It's stunning and more the, than any. And the food is great and the people are great. That's yeah. my experience. A lot of times people go like, <laughs> like I actually accuse people of being like the the, the cliche like 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 uh, you know uh, uh, what is it called like coastal elite. Yeah, I have a joke. I never really do on stage where I go. People call me a coastal elite just because I live on a coast and I'm better than other people. Uh, but like. <laughs> <laughs> but like people say it's coastal elites and like i actually and then they're out of touch and it's like i think they are like a lot of times i talk to people in new york yeah and they're like ah oh, 
Cincinnati must be rough. I'm like, it's not. It's amazing. The <laughs> yeah. people are awesome. The food is great. It's a fun town. You know, it must be hard to play Midwest. No, it's fucking awesome. You like, like the country's amazing. Madison, go, Wisconsin's one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Yeah, it's to, one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Go to Alaska. Go Ooh. to go to Northern California, deep. Go up to you know the redwoods, like yeah. holy cow. Go to Wyoming. Drive. I remember Dude. driving through Wyoming for like four hours, and it's like never a dull moment. Just at the beauty of it, mm -hmm. the stunning. My daughter, when she was getting applying to colleges, she we got we uh, got an, a a counselor, and I was listening to my wife and my daughter talk about where she didn't want to go. Yeah, and I said, "Hang on, I'm going to jump in real quick." I said, I think I'm an, and I talk very flowery. But I go, I think I'm an actual expert on this. <laughs> I'm traveling, and, and, Sarah. Yeah, and yeah, I am. Yeah. And they're like, and George was like, Dad, just because you worked at Travel Channel, I go, No, hold on. I have traveled. I've been to every state. Every I've been state, to every yeah. state. I've been to every, almost every capital. I've been to a lot of these colleges you're talking about. I go, Hold on. Like, she was like, I don't want to go on the East Coast, and and I was like, It's they're. College, that's where colleges were invented. Yeah. Those are the most beautiful colleges. And they're like, What do you mean invented? And I went. The oldest colleges in our country are in the oldest part of our country. Like, and I'm looking at my wife, and my wife stopped. She goes, Hang on. I'm gonna have to side with your dad on this. He knows a lot more about the different places. And I explained to her, this is why you need to apply to dot dot dot. It's yeah. it's and the college she ended up going to, I told her, I said, This is um where that is is some of the most otherworldly things you'll ever see i can't yeah. say i don't remember where she's going but but she's and so i was like you you got it you don't think she was like i just want to stay in la and i was like no 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 yeah she's like i don't want to go to texas i was like texas is fucking awesome yeah, texas is amazing it's fucking awesome you go watch a sunset in austin over by lake uh whatever thing like fucking power whatever it is in austin they're the most beautiful sunsets you'll ever seen yeah sunsets in the southwest are the most like you're right oh we, yeah go to santa fe oh for god's sakes god. it's like yeah by i but i i i identify with that coastal elite thing i remember going back we did a end of the world podcast right before trump um the me stanhope burr and rogan and a bunch of other people too but we were the original ones we did this end of the world podcast the day what are you looking at oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah that that's, uh, uh that's the podcast. That's the moment they legalized marijuana in LA. I ripped my shirt off and we lit a joint. Oh my God. Um, but I love Stan Hope's reaction. Yeah. We were up there and I had just come back from Ohio. And I remember everyone saying, There's no way Trump's gonna win. There's no way Trump's yeah. gonna win. And I was like, I was I've been traveling around. I know. I was like, I hate to sell you this, but I think you guys have your head in the sand. But um, but yeah, the, you're right. The country's beautiful. When did you get when did you get when did you make the your first pivot into into more like what was it was it your one man show yeah sleepwalk with me yeah so sleep, so and, sleep, and, and like someone nathan lane presented nathan lane it. produced yeah. it yeah he, he presented it. he put presented. his name on it which was like a really generous thing so tell um, me uh, like top to bottom what that was so that was so i was when i was in college i was a screenwriting major love movies yeah. obsessed with movies love plays and I was like this is what i'm gonna do and it's like that naive thing you go like i'm gonna do this and then you realize like 
that is not a job people want. Nobody wants you. Yeah. It's like being a comedian is like that too. It's like nobody wants you. Yeah. And so you have to become, it's like the Steve Martin book, Born Standing Up. You have to become undeniable at the thing so that people are asking you to do it instead of you're asking them to do it. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I can't be, I can't be a screenwriter. Nobody wants me to do it. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'll be a, I'll be a comic because I know how to do that. I've been working the door, working open mics for a few years. And then I'll circle back to making movies in my mind. I was just like, that's, that's all. So, so. That is kind of how that works. Yeah, it can happen. And so I'll, I'll circle back to that. I'll, I'll develop you know, a, a comedy career first. So I do that. I do Letterman, all this stuff. And then what happened was, and I'm, I'm a road comic, and, I'm, and at this point I'm doing th- theaters like that 2006 2007 i was in theaters for that comedy central live tour for colleges mm-hmm. and so i so um i i start to get all this heat from uh cbs and nbc to do a sitcom and i do it and i i, I did a pilot and it's like the mike Birbiglia untitled project or whatever and it's like Nick Kroll played my cousin. Bob Odenkirk played my brother. It's like real like murderous row of like yeah, people. Yeah, it was, it was it was it was good. It yeah. could have been great. And by the but by the end of the notes process, it had become wa- so watered down that it didn't feel like me anymore. Yeah. And and then it didn't get picked up. And it actually, was the luckiest thing that ever happened to me, because the moment it didn't get picked up, I was like, yes, that's. That's what should have happened. I shouldn't do a sitcom. I should be doing these solo shows that I've always enjoyed, like solo plays. And so um, I had been writing for a few years, like as a project, Sleepwalk With Me, um, which ended up being my first show. But I, I had it in my notebook. I had my whatever. I'd written it. But I was like, I'm going to take this seriously. This is my next thing. I'm going to go. And I'm going to see every solo show on and off Broadway. And I did. And wow. I was like, okay, the best one is the tricky part by this guy, Seth Barish. So I call Seth Barish, cold call him. Hey, Mike Birbiglia, I'm a comedian. I wrote the show Sleepwalk with me. You want to meet? He met with me. We got along well. We start working together for like off and on, like for like a couple of years, developing the script and him giving notes. And then 2008, after the sitcom pilot failed, came back to New York, got married at City Hall. Jenny and I decided we're going to get married and I'm going to try to mount Sleepwalk with me with the production values that I was saw in Los Angeles with these sitcoms. I was like, I just need to bring my, have my work have more production value. <laughs> just have more, more a fully realized vision. And yeah. so there was a, uh, my, a friend from college, Eli Gonda, has a, had a film production company and and he wanted to make a he want he was wanted to talk about doing something with me and I was like what about we do this theater show and so he he came in and and produced it at the Bleecker Street Theater and then it ran for eight months and Nathan Lane agreed to present it because he was a fan of my work and he really loved the show. I saw you guys on the View or something yeah together. <laughs> yeah that was like wow fucking badass it was weird yeah and and then like. It, I mean, I have to say, like, it. Compl- what was that other guy's name? Before we go too far, what was that other guy's name? I want to follow him. Eli. The tricky part. Oh, Seth Barish. Yeah, Seth Barish. He's my director. He directed Old Man in the Pool, which is the one I'm doing at Mark Taper for him. But like, he and I've done five. So so then, since then, 
Me and I have done. This is our fifth show. I keep together. Writing, I'm, I'm, I'm going to write this name down. Seth Barish. Seth Barish is amazing. Um, and he taught Anne Hathaway. He he taught Tony Hale. I mean, he's like a brilliant actor. He's one. If you look at his picture, you might <laughs> recognize him from acting roles because he's like he's one of a he's one of those that guys in mm-hmm. acting. He's he's a brilliant actor and acting coach. He's on the show Billions. He was on Sopranos. He's just like it's this. Yeah, he's okay. It's this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, probably yeah, yeah. He, he he gets recognized and a his, lot. His one man show was pretty fucking awesome. He directed it. He directed yeah. this guy Marty Moran's one person show. It's called yeah. The Tricky Part. It was unbelievable. It's like the best because what they did was Marty Moran had this story that was really really sad about him being abused as a by by these uh, church folks when he was a kid and it was brutal. Yeah. But the way they told it felt like it was your friend telling you a story. It didn't feel like, oh, I'm supposed to feel, you know, they're pulling the heartstrings. It yeah. more felt like, no, no, listen, I, you know, this is this thing that happened to me and this is my takeaway from it. You know, like it had yeah. a very conversational feel. And I've always tried to strive towards like just conversational comedy, like just talking, like telling stories, but just telling the story. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he and I really jived in that sense of sensibility. And and so we started working together. And this is our fifth show. So we did Sleepwalk With Me and then we did uh, my, my girlfriend's, girlfriend's boyfriend, boyfriend. Thank God for jokes. The yeah. new one, which is the first time we went on Broadway. The last one, and then, and then the old man in the pool, which is at the Mark Taper Forum now, and hopefully, knock on wood, will be on Broadway sometime. You know, in the next six months or so. So like, it's so we've just worked together for like fifteen years. Wow. And it it just changed the way uh, I looked at everything because I was like, okay, I took my playwriting screenwriting thing that I'd studied and focused on. And took my stand-up, which I really like obsessed over, and they kind of merged them. So I have these shows, they're kind of hybrid shows. And sometimes people go like, well, that's not stand-up. It's funny if you say, like, like you're gonna if you're in a speedo, that's not comedy. I was like, it's like, well, no, everything is what you do. You you, you go on stage and yeah. you try to con- connect with people. The way I do it is I tell stories that have some sad parts and jokes, and and that's what I do. Yeah. And and it's like this whole thing of like categorizing, like that's stand up, but that's not stand up. This is a play. That's not a play. It's like, gives a fuck. It, like, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's beach season. You know what that means? Your tattoos are in full view. That's right. I don't know if you know this, but I am covered in tattoos. Actually, I don't have any. Halston's covered in tattoos. But if you have one and you're one of the 40% of people under 35 that have them, you know that. You want to represent them right. Let me tell you about a new awesome product that we got sent and Halston's been using, and it is awesome. It's called Mad Rabbit. They're committed committed to reinventing the tattoo aftercare. Founded by two friends with a passion for ink, Mad Rabbit creates simple, effective, and natural products that help improve the healing process and preserve tattoos all delivered to your door. I'm telling you, they they are both old and new tattoos for all skin types. It is effective for all of them. It is made with natural ingredients. So I mean it. This balm has eight ingredients. Shea butter, cocoa butter, beeswax, cannelludulu. It's a flower. Sweet almond, lavender, frankincense, and cucumber. That's it. And so forget the days of ingredients you can't pronounce. <laughs> like those? Like I just did. <laughs> I, by the way, I can't read. With Mad Rabbit, you know what you're putting on your body is all truly natural. I'm telling you right now, we gave some to Halston. 
they kind of lighten them up or like like brighten them up a little bit right yeah i've got this like 10 year old tattoo that used to be super color colorful but like over the years and like i have really dry skin so it looks like it's faded but yeah. it's actually not i just need to put some proper balm on it and not just some like shitty lotion with a yeah. bunch of like horrible ingredients in with it ingredients that you don't even know are going to destroy the ink I, i'm not into that i'm not into that so like i put this on and like the tattoo color really pops listen let me, halston's vegan so you know everything he puts in his body all natural baby <laughs> and he's gonna tra- treat his tattoos the same way so when you're thinking of tattoo care think mad rabbit they've preserved over 1.5 million tattoos and right now they've got an exclusive offer just for birdcast listeners if you go to madrabbit.com slash birdcast and use the promo code birdcast you'll receive 25 percent off that's 25 percent off when you head to madrabbit.com slash birdcast and use your our promo code birdcast and it's tattoos no no it's tattoos i, I googled it I am getting on an airplane for a very long time this week. Uh, right now, I'll be getting on. I'm, I'll be on the plane right now, and let me tell you what will be in my bag: my two pairs of Raycon Everyday earbuds. They look and they feel and they sound better than ever. They've got these optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, and these earbuds are so comfortable they will not budge. I promise you that. But here is the main reason that I'm bringing them eight hours of playtime. That is eight. That means I can pass out with them. I don't feel them. They're so sleek. I can pass out with them. They will stay in my ears. There's nothing worse than waking up and your expensive in-ear monitors have fallen out. You got to search around the plane for them. They stay in yours. I sleep with them listening to podcasts and they have a 32-hour battery life. That is insane. Raycons are priced just right. You get Quality audio for half the price of the other premium audio brands. It's no wonder Raycon's Everyday Earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. They have a great little tap function. There's noise isolation. And and best is the awareness, folks. We're going to be where we're going to be. It's nice to listen to music and walk around or go for a jog, but it's a busy city. And I don't want to get hit by a car because I'm not paying attention. With the awareness mode, I can hear everything around me. These are the go-to, I'm telling you, earbuds in the market, in my opinion. Go to buyraycon.com slash BurtCast today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That is buyraycon.com slash BurtCast to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash BurtCast. It's funny to me. I remember, I, 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 I don't know if I'm sure I shit on her. I don't know if I have her or I haven't. But uh, <laughs> Hannah Gadsby, when she came out and did her thing, I, I really enjoyed it. I love that show. I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed that it was different. I enjoyed that it was and I'm sure I probably said something. I'm, I'm sure you can find a clip of me saying something off color about yeah. about it. But um, but I but I genuinely enjoyed it. I love all of her shows. I just saw her new show that she's touring with at BAM. Brooklyn is brilliant. Yeah, I think great. She's, I, think I think what she's, she's doing is amazing. She has one of my not one of my favorite jokes, but like a joke that I think of anytime anyone mentions unicorns. I think of her unicorn joke. When I was a kid, I knew more facts about unicorns than I did gay people. Yeah, and then she goes unicorns aren't real <laughs> there's no facts yeah, 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 I knew yeah. more facts about unicorns i just think it's such a great yeah. joke I, me and my sis, me and my daughter this is hardcore secret time but uh <laughs> we saw her in a in a best buy or a target yeah. one time it was a target and i couldn't tell if it was her or not yeah and so i had my daughter go over go over and i i showed her i said see if it's this person 
because I couldn't look at her because yeah. I was a comic. And if I was caught looking at her, yeah. I was, I, I then you become part say, of the story. Well, wanted, yeah, and I wanted to say hi to her, but I didn't know if it was her or not. Yeah. And so I gave my daughter my phone. My daughter just goes up to her and looks at the picture in her and goes, yeah. And yeah. walks away. I go, that's not how it's done, Isla. That's really funny. You look at it first, then walk oh over. Gosh. She just went up and went, that's yeah. That's not how it's done. <laughs> but, and then I, she left. Like she, was, I, she, uh, she was gone too quick. Well, did it? I feel like when people criticize her, it drives me nuts because I'm going like, well, it might not be for you. It might not. Yeah. That's why I always tell you about stuff. My shows like yeah. I might not be for you, well, that's, but I'm doing a thing and some yeah. people like it and some people don't. And it doesn't, that doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a bizarre thing. Cause, because our, our criticism has always been, or our criticism to people who don't like you, like, well, they don't, don't watch it. Yeah. You know, but then, Comics are the first one to go. Fucking Hannah Gatsby sucked. No, well then don't watch it. Right. Then don't watch it because it's not. It, it's was, not for it's, you. It's apparently, definitely not made for you. Yeah. It's made for like like some little girl who's trying to figure out who she is. For sure. And then she gets to see and, oh someone who's not comfortable in their body, someone who's autistic, someone who's whatever Hannah yeah. re- represents to her audience. Someone who feels like an outsider, like someone who feels like they don't belong. Like and those have, those come in many different shapes and sizes. In a, in a fan but i i liked her and i found it really odd I and mean, i mean this i obviously i never say anything bad about Chappelle, but everyone celebrates Chappelle when he gives these you know 35 minute dialogues i don't know if they're, they're i don't at yeah. times they're not yeah there's aren't there aren't a ton of jokes in them yeah but they're meant for you to listen and, yeah and hear and yeah. and but everyone was not cool when hannah did it right i was like oh. no and all yeah it's a very i think that culturally like i don't know if this is an american thing but i think it's pretty much probably everywhere people love to categorize things like people you and people would think that you and i would not think each other are funny but i think you're hilarious i fucking love your stand-up i love i love i love everything you do i i i think i really there's a few there's a handful of people who i kind of uh looked at the way they did it and was like oh shit you can do it that way or like you and Ron White were two people that changed the way I saw stand up. Oh wow! When I, because you know, I was legit a straight. Pretty, I mean, I had some stories. I, 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 I was a story guy, but I, I distanced myself from it, and I leaned towards more like crowd work and and being edgy, yeah. As opposed to my my real my real self was wanted to tell stories like long form stories, and this. You doing it, I, I remember watching you do it in Tampa, and I was like, and it was, I think it was after I had seen uh, Ron White's tater salad story. Oh, yeah. And then when I did Rogan, I did Rogan, I was doing Rogan around that time, and I told the machine story on Rogan, and Rogan's like, you need to tell it on stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I told that, that one story took me, I mean, maybe four years to figure out. Yeah. I mean, I told it for four years where it just didn't go great. Yeah. And I told it every fucking night. Yeah. And then when I figured it out that changed everything wow and i remember i remember i remember looking at you the same way i looked at it tell when i first started stand up yeah and going like I'd, I'd always forget like the simplest thing that you're so good at is is telling jokes within a story telling you you're so good at 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 littering a story with with humor like yeah. and but making telling a really interesting story at Thanks. the same time thanks um well, you have that too, but you know what's funny about you? the the difference between yours and my approach to it? Because it's like, I always think when I watch you, I'm like, well, you have a lot of audience members that are probably like drinking hard. 
because yeah. you drink hard so that yeah. your audience reflects you a lot of times yeah it's like do they have the how do they have the attention span for like a 15 minute story that you're like in crushing an, with in an outdoor venue <laughs> yeah yeah jesus I, you know i don't it's uh it's impressive i don't know how you do it well i, I don't know i don't know i don't know because my audience like they come i think at this point they come for that I would They're like down for it. I wanted to do the moth so badly. You should do it. Nah, I mean, really? Well, I mean, it's just not. I don't. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have time to do it. I, oh, I, okay. I, I met. I met with the. I talked with the woman on the phone who Catherine? runs the moth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Catherine, Catherine Burns. Yeah, yeah. Talked to Catherine she, Burns. She taught me how to tell my first story I at Aspen it. Comedy Festival in like twenty years ago. Catherine Burns is a gangster. Yeah, she's great. She, uh, they have that great How to Tell a Story moth book out right now. It's great. Great book. She for real. Yeah, it's called How to Tell a Story. It's great. Hey, uh, write down that. The moth book. Um, She called me up and I said, uh, she's a fucking gangster, dude. I I like that lady. She's great. She she called me up and she said, so uh, this is a while ago. And she was like, so I understand I wanted to do the moth. And she said, I heard you want to do the moth. And I said, I do. She goes, okay, what story were you thinking about telling? I go, I have this really great scuba diving story where I almost died. And she goes, eh. I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, I'm talking to you on the phone right now, huh? And I said, yeah. And she goes, so oh, I don't really care. I think you live. I know the end of that story. Yeah. What other stories? I was like, fuck yeah. And I was like, yeah, fuck that story. <laughs> that was, that was the... But it was like, really funny. she was. it was just the way she said it was so funny that I went, wow, this woman knows stories. Like, I would love. No, she's great. She's great. I mean, here's the best piece of storytelling advice that I've ever gotten that I use all the time because you're talking please, about how please, like please. how like I sprinkled jokes. Every, Let's talk storytelling. Yeah, Let's yeah, of talk course. So Ira Glass gave me this. Ira Glass, Ira Glass was like as a, a gangster. He produced both of my movies, Sleepwalk with Me and Don't Think Twice, and he produced you know my last show, the new one, and he's a consultant on the Old Man in the Pool. But he said this thing to me once. It's so smart. I, I repeat it constantly. He goes, a story to keep people interested in the story. You tell a little bit of the story. And then you talk about how do you feel about that thing? You tell a little more story. How do you feel about that thing? And our strength as comics is the how do you feel about the thing? Jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So it's like that's that's the ball game. For me, that's the structure of everything I do. I I I tell a story like a cornucopia. Yeah. Right? It starts out here, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and then it—that's how I start, and then it gets really wide. Yeah, yeah. But I need it to end. I, I, if I, well, once- I, I always say that. I always say this is about stories. People come up to me all the time. They go, "How do I start telling stories? I'm a comic, but I want to tell stories." I go, "Make sure you have an ending." Yeah, because the audience wants to know two things. They want to know when it's over, and early in the story. This want- is this is right now. This is the most important <laughs> lesson in storytelling. <laughs> That I didn't learn <laughs> until until very late in my career. I had a story. I, I've told this before, but I had a story about. I had two stories. One about um, eating edibles. One about my daughter keeping her deodorant in the refrigerator, and one about eating edibles and her walking into my bedroom and asking um, uh, if if I believed in time travel. Yeah, and and I fu- I fucked them up one time. I was two two. Uh, my daughter keeps her deodorant in the refrigerator. I, saw, I don't know, keep her name on the cap on the base. And then I, I was doing there. Leanne's like, you know, I like apparently not. And then one day she takes it, swipes it, rubs it under her lip, rubs it under on her top lip, puts the cap on, puts it back in the refrigerator. What the fuck are you doing? She goes, mind your own business. And she walks away. Oh my God. So 
That was the end of that story. <laughs> and I, and I would tell the times travel first and yeah. then tell that. One night I get drunk, I tell that first, and I forget. I just randomly start... I start then telling the time travel stories. Right. It was like I, I messed up the chunk right. the way it did. But I the time travel thing is I, I ate edibles, overprescribed myself. She comes in, middle of the night. I'm high as shit. She goes, Dad, you awake? I'm like, yeah, what do you need? And she's like, do you believe in time travel? And I'm like, by the way, I really believe in time travel. <laughs> I really believe in time travel. And I'm like, I do. Yeah. I do. Why? Why? And she goes, would it be possible <laughs> for someone to come to the future to talk to me now? about the future and i go yeah why she goes it's all i need to know good night and just leaves that's great and then i go and then i go oh i could i fucked it up but i could finish off i go now i'm sitting in bed going shit uh, there's is there like a 30 year old version of my daughter sitting in her bedroom oh. going like i told you about was real. <laughs> listen your dad's gonna die but we can save his life i need you to put your deodorant in the refrigerator <laughs> and it got and it got an applause break and i get off stage the dude i was working with i wish i knew this guy's name i was in calgary he said the most prolific statement which you just said to me he said he said that was that fucking that was great and i was like i got, I got an applause break and he goes yeah i said why do you think they gave me an applause break and he, and he goes well i clapped too i said you did and he goes we knew it was over. We knew it was over. I was oh. Mike. If you watch Hey Big Boy, every fucking <laughs> every story has like a an ending. Ta-da! Yeah, an ending. <laughs> and that's the way they make the sausage. <laughs> People want to know. I think two things. They want to know this story's gonna have an ending. Yeah. And they want to know that something's ending. <laughs> yeah, they want to. That's all. Yeah. I I always say that like comics like like if you have stories like uh go on stage and know where it's ending and know where it's beginning and then have tons of jokes. Yeah. And then see how many jokes the audience lets you get away with. And if you want to bail, go to the ending. Yep. I mean, it's all about just skipping to the ending sometimes because the audience is not there for it. They're like, nah. Yeah. And sometimes you tell a story and they're like, this isn't that good. I've tr- I tried that scuba diving story many a time. Yeah. And she's right. The ending, I, I don't die. <laughs> it's well, like, I, and I remember like getting to the end and being like, being like, and then I just uh, got on the boat. Well, what? <laughs> well, what? I, well, I tell me this. Tell me the, the gist of the story. Just tell me like a few, like a few. My first open water dive was at ninety feet. Okay, ninety I, feet deep. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I was not prepared. Okay. Sway Travel Channel operated. Unbelievable. And so, wow. yeah. So I'm hooked. So uh, it was in Fiji oh God. in a legit electrical storm, thunderstorm, Wow! in a, uh, in a steel boat. John Manns, <sighs> my, one of the guys in the other room, John Manns, my cameraman, was with me for this. And, and I, and it's thundering and lightning, it's storming, but we have to shoot it because we're shooting it for Travel Channel. I have no, I have never once. I'm so hooked in on this story. I've never once gone scuba diving where I got to pick when I was, what I wanted to scuba dive for. Yeah. Every time it's been forced on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's been bad weather and they're like, yeah. all right, go now. Yeah. So <laughs> I only had one previous dive in open water for this at 20 feet where I watched my, my dive partner yeah. almost die. Wow. She took 
you know, do the re- regulator, switch it. Yeah. She took it and she forgot to clear it and she sucked in water at 20 feet. Oh my yeah. God. And this guy, his name is Zen. He I spoke disagree. no English. I respectfully disagree with, with my colleague about this <laughs> story because I think this is a great story. Oh, uh, and so we go. So we now we I my my this is my first legit dive. So we go, it's at 90 feet. We get in the water. And I remember everyone took off before me. Everyone started sinking before me. But there was, was a joke, by the way, in that, which is like, it's, it's the, the water started coming into her thing. Is yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is the opposite of scuba diving. Like, <laughs> the maybe op- a joke. Like the it's, whole it's the opposite of scuba diving. It's the is one thing you're you not supposed to do. insert water into your body. Maybe she had seen the abyss too many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, you can breathe this water in. Okay, so then where does it go? So, uh. I have a panic attack. I have a panic attack. Underwater. I, I, I start, You're underwater. No, I start to go. I start to descend. And I and I have a, a an acute awareness very quickly of what I want and what I don't want in life. Yeah. And everything I don't want is at the bottom of this ocean. Yeah. All the things I don't want are down there. And all the things okay. I want, like pizza, cable, yeah. like all that is up top. And yeah. I'm like, what the fuck am I going down there for? And my dive instructor, uh, a, a, a Fijian woman who looked a lot like junior Seau, okay. like a big woman okay just grabs me and goes and just grabs me and hits the descending button oh, wow. and just takes me down with her and i'm like it is the the and and, and the, when you so are the ship is at 90 feet at the bottom of the 90 feet the ship's mass was at 40 feet deep so you there's 40 feet where you're going and you don't see anything you're just going down wow down down and then you see a ship and the thing this is the thing i hung my aware my i this is what i hung my hat on was that was that uh i had i had just as a comics awareness as i was like it's kind of weird that we're celebrating this shipwreck like that oh like this is like the worst day of someone's life and we're down there like oh Oh, this is so cool that's really like no one was like no one was like man i hope these people enjoy this ship you know and jumped off they were like, "We're all gonna die. I'll never see my children." And then we're like, "But look at it!" And right? It's the uh, it's the ultimate rubbernecking. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like the next ultimate. level. It's next level yeah. rubbernecking. Yeah, everyone's dead. Yeah, full wreckage. Let's go check it out. So she. That's so funny. Two of the guys that scuba dived with me are in my house right now. Wow, they're in my house right now. Um, we go down, and I my panic goes away. I see the camera. As soon as I see the camera, my panic goes away. And we start doing the dive, and I'm almost so shooting this. So I'm, I got to, I got to do some stuff for camera. Take the thing out, smile underwater. Ninety feet underwater. Ninety feet underwater, oh and I'm, God. and I got to clear my mask. We got to do a bunch of oh things to pass God. the class. Like I got to do, but it's so. But I got so excited. I all of a sudden that same lady just comes up to me and just hits my 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 valve, yeah. and then goes up. You're yeah. out of air, and I look yeah. down and I'm in the red. Oh no! And so me and this woman buddy and oh this was another bit that i thought was really funny uh in in a moment of panic like she looks at me and says, we need to get the fuck yeah. out of here now yeah but the rate of ascension in scuba diving is 10 feet per minute do you know what that looks like slow that's the we need to get the fuck out of right hand now and you're like that's very like funny. and so the visual of like right, right, right. of walking that on stage i always thought that was funny right and then <laughs> we need to get, right, right right it's like it's like we need to, it's like we need to get the fuck out of here now yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's so yeah that was one that's of the very things funny. the visual that's great yeah i love that and but then we get to 
Right. So the maybe the, the maybe a joke is there too. Is like the speed that's occurring is in my heart. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's all internal. Yeah. Because the thing's going like this, but in each other, you're like. As I would go faster, she grabbed my leg and pulled me down. Oh my god! And so I'm like, I'm trying, and and we just so you don't get uh like vertigo, the bends. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so then we get to 15 feet, and I realize everyone in my crew's run out of air. We've all run out of air, and they now have tanks down there for us to hold on to and breathe because we're all out of fucking air. Oh no! Then we get up to the top, and she says. To get your certification, you got to go down to 30 feet with me one more time for 15 minutes. So I'm like, I just ran out of fucking air. I'm yeah. fucking having the, I'm not having a good time. It's thundering and lightning. We're up here. She goes, we need to go down one more time. I'm like, yeah. fuck you. And so then she just grabs me, pulls me down to 30 feet. And I just stared at this woman for thir- at 30 feet with a new tank on just. And, right. then I, and every time I've gone scuba diving, I've had, but I, it's not a good ending. He's no, no, here, right. here's why. Here's why. Here's why. This is what I do on my podcast, by the way. Yeah. My podcast is called Working It Out. We work out stories, oh jokes. We're going to have you on. And... I have a great story to tell you. Oh, great. I have a great story to tell you. I have a great, great, great story. But, but like, because this is what, you know, this is what I do all day with, you know, my brother Joe and, and all, Seth and, and uh, Peter and all my like, colleagues. Mabel is like, the, uh, we just, kick around stories and it's like what and with Ira Glass like what what is making what is not making this an interesting enough story and I think with yours is like it's like in a great story you're a little bit different before the story than you were after the story and I think you don't have that yet I think it might exist in you yeah you know what I mean it's Mm -hmm. like do you feel like you it changed you at all did you be? Did you react any differently after you know scuba diving in the future, or anything like that? I was. I was. It instilled a little bit of confidence in me that I could do it. Yeah. Because I remember. I remember. There's. I'm. A, I'm a person that. I do see th- certain things as insurmountable when it comes to anxiety. Yeah. Like, I actually. I had a moment when I worked at Travel Channel where I um, they wanted me to do this ride at Cedar Point. Uh, is big amusement park in sandusky ohio wicked twister i think not i I forget what the name of the ride is but it's a it's a ride where it's like a it's a it's a it's a thing like this all the seats are on the outside the stick goes up like this and it swings you like this like a pendulum and this spins and i had the worst anxiety attack i'd ever had in my life watching the ride can you pull up the ride so I can show you? I was watching the ride and it was coming past me and I'm doing a read and I have a panic attack and I went to, oh, it's yeah, uh, scary. It's, I went to, um, uh, it's not Wicked Twister. Wicked Twister's ride they just told down. Put in a swing ride, <laughs> uh, swing ride Cedar Point. And I went and I hid in the bathroom and I, it was my first, I was doing the pilot for Bird's Conquer. Yeah. And I I hid in the bathroom and I called my wife and I said that's the that's the fucking ride that's oh. the fucking ride Max Air, and I hid in the bathroom right by Max Air and I called my wife and I said I can't do this I can't yeah. do this show yeah. I can't get on this ride that ride will kill me it'll yeah. kill me I'll have a heart attack yeah. I, I yeah. can't do it I said I'm running away listen I just want you to know I've done this twice I did yeah. this the night I had to jump off the stratosphere called yeah. my wife and I said listen I'm running away I'm running away um, I'm gonna rent a car and I'm gonna go into the desert for a little while I'm gonna make it feel like you know people are gonna wonder where I went. 
I want you to know I'm safe, but I can't do tomorrow. Tomorrow is like something I actually can't do. Yeah. And for that was jumping off the stratosphere. And but when I did, when I called my wife and told her that, I didn't realize I was mic'd. And the sound guy heard all of it. And he's oh like, Oh my god. They're like, Where's Bert? And he's like, he's in the bathroom. <laughs> so wait, so 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 did you do it? I did this ride. Oh my gosh. This is like your camera on your head. This is this is this is what it goes so high oh my gosh it was one of the most terrifying experiences uh and, and it's and it's just a child's ride right and my cameraman scott sand said to me he goes hey man there's children lined up to do this like, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah like yeah. it's you're not gonna die i know right. you're scared right. but there's they're letting children do this so like don't worry and i rode with this blonde chick but i, I had the same feeling about skydiving when yeah. i jumped off the stratosphere I was the first person to jump off Stratosphere. Well, not really, because they had people jumping off it to test the ride. Right. But I was like the first paying customer or whatever right. for Travel Channel. And uh, I had a full-blown, the worst panic attack I've ever had in my entire life the night before. Throwing up, dry heaving, shaking, Woo. cold sweats. Called my wife, told her I was going to run away. She was like, call Dan Adler and tell him you can't do it. So I called Dan Adler and I said, I'm not going to be able to do it. And he goes, that's okay. I was like, what? Because yeah. it's fine. It's the third act. If we've gotten our number for the episode. Yeah. We've it's all the B-roll. It's fine. If you don't do it, I can make a story out of that. But I need you not to do it on the edge. Right. I went, what? He goes, promise me you'll put on the outfit. Promise me you'll tell everyone you're going to do it. Promise me you'll get up to the edge and then back out on the edge. Like at the edge. Right. Just go, I can't do it. And he goes, I, I can make a story out of that. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah. So the whole day leading up, I'm like, I'm just going to walk out. I'm going to not do it i told everyone i'm not you know just so you're all clear i'm not doing this i'm gonna just go out to the edge and back off yeah i'll make it look good and uh and then i got to the edge and my buddy scott sands who's harnessed into the side of the building is looking at me and he goes hey man i think it'd be just easier to do it i yeah. go what and he goes like he goes like the mayor's down there yeah like david blaine's down or not uh, david copperfield's down there yeah they have showgirls doves are gonna pop out they yeah. have a bottle of tequila for you when you land he's like it's like just do it yeah and he goes it's your show man like if if you want a second season you gotta they need the shot of you jumping okay. off the fucking stratosphere yeah so i was like fuck it i go you're right let's do it let's do it and he goes you're doing it i said yeah. i'm doing it let everyone know i'm actually gonna jump off stratosphere and then i told the guys i was like okay i'm actually jumping am i harnessed and they're like yeah and and my producer was like, fuck, shit, give me a read. Like, say something. And I'm like, I'm fucking jumping. I'm not saying a fucking thing. I'm jumping. Like, I'm just fucking panicking. Yeah. And I jump and I land. And Mike, better than the birth of my second child, the fucking land it, stand up like a superhero. The mayor opens a bottle of tequila. Fucking doves come out. David Blaine, showgirls. Uh, 500 people at the bottom to greet me. I give a speech that is, it is comparable to win one for the Gipper. <laughs> I mean, it moves the entire fucking people are hugging me. I get done. I walk over to my producer. I go, fucking, we did it. And she goes, I didn't get audio on any of that. Oh my God, that's amazing. I go, what? She goes, that's your amazing. audio was up top. If you, I didn't know you were going to jump. If you were going to jump, I was going to oh have the God. audio guy go down yeah. and get your audio for that speech. You got to do it again. Oh my God. So I had to go up. Yeah. By myself. Now everyone's gone. Oh my God. And I jumped down the second time. And the one thing one janitor had told me was the second time's way worse than the first time. Mm. I said, why? And he goes, because you're you're aware that it will stop. Yeah. But you're wondering why it hasn't stopped the well, whole that's time. And so I did it the second time and I gave my speech to a janitor. It's, if you watch the clip, it's you don't see the mayor. 
You just see some guy cleaning I, up. Here's what I think is worth like all this, all those stories, like the the one about scuba diving. Yeah. Like I think potentially the stakes are like, are like, what did it feel like when you're 90 feet down and it's an emergency and you you're facing death essentially? Like, what does that feel like? You know, so funny. I I've faced death a couple times, and every time it wasn't as bad as I thought. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I've faced death a number of times. I've a couple times. I think I wonder if I act, I wonder if I believe in parallel universes and that I've actually died a few times. Yeah. And then I, but this is the one I'm on for that goes the longest. You yeah. know. But like I, I've done, I've done some really scary shit. I thought I broke my back one time. Yeah. And then the other thing is like, it's like I I. I like it'd be fun to analyze like the machine story because it's like it's like you know it's like 15 minutes long and it's like well why do we care for 15 minutes and i I think my analysis would be that there's a hook the hook is you don't know how to speak russian you're in russia yeah whoa all right i'm in yeah that's a good that's a good like setup of something something's gonna happen yeah and then it's like and then you start then there's russian monsters all right tell me more you know what i mean like every step of the way you're going like i want to hear more about this thing and then it gets crazier you're drinking then you're robbing people and then i think what makes it worth being a story that you tell you zoom out you go my ethics that i don't cheat on my wife But, (laughs) but for whatever reason at this moment in my in time i felt like i'd never thought through whether or not i would rob a train (laughs) and and that's why it's worth telling because i think that the way people view stories is through their own lens well i think yeah you're telling the story and i'm going as you're telling i'm laughing but going like he's robbing a train like that's pretty intense and then you address it and you and you zoom out on it and we go oh i didn't see the zoom out coming yeah and then you come back in for the final tag which yeah. buttons up the whole thing. I think like every story in some ways should have that, which is like a hook, something where you go, wait, what's going to happen? This is interesting. And yeah. then like something that keeps pulling you forward, pulling you forward. Ooh. And then at the end, something where you zoom out and you go, oh my God, in a larger context, this is like my life in this way as the audience member. Yeah. And then you zoom back in for a tag of something that that occurred, which is the guy going, fuck her, or whatever. Yeah. Well, that's know. that the most... The most interesting part of that, the most interesting parts of learning how to tell the stories. The teacher, the teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Is uh, what you learn. Like, I thought the end of that story was, so I understand you're the machine. Tonight you party with us. But it wasn't. And the audience told me it wasn't. The audience I tried, tells you a lot. And then yeah. and then one day in the Columbus Funny Bone, I, I had this big workaround. I remember the person I was working with was like, was when he spits vodka in her face, shuts the door on her, I was doing this the i was doing this bit that was this didn't make sense right there and and the comic i was working with was like can i ask you a question about that like why do you say that like yeah it doesn't make i mean it doesn't make sense kind of and i was like yeah it doesn't he's like i'm just pointing that out which part the, right it was um it was i i he she comes in with that liberal arts confidence this is what blah, 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 blah. and he looks at me takes a sip of vodka, spits it in her eyes. Right. Says, no one talks to the machine like that. Right. Shuts the door in her face. And then 
I then had a bit where I was talking about the woman that had happened to right. Oh, I'm in trouble. She didn't like me before this. She's really not going to like me now. Right. Uh, and she, and I talked about her ethnicity for some reason. I thought that was important. Right. And it just, but it didn't. It didn't make any sense. Right. Because it didn't matter. It right. didn't really matter at that point. And his comic just said, "Yeah, why do you mention, why do you bring up right. her ethnicity? Like, it's such, it such yeah, an yeah. odd time to bring that up. Like, I don't really care about that." Yeah. And I went, "Oh yeah." And so I was like, "I won't do that this show." And so he just shuts the door looks at me and it's something they said a lot they said a lot to our group yeah was uh this is russia like they would say that yeah this is russia and he just looks at me and he goes fuck that bitch this is russia yeah and i went as soon as i said i went that's the end of the story yeah. that's the end of the story yeah the cop the cop then grabs me to yeah. party with us and then i go I, I lean in and i go i'm not in trouble and he goes that bitch this is russia right. and it was like it's such a great it's a forget forget about it jake it's chinatown yeah it's the same thing forget it's, about the, it, same, it's, it's the same chinatown. premise yeah same premise because you're encapsulating an idea of what you've just watched for 15 minutes in that case chinatown two-hour movie yeah. into like this line what the, the, tell me about the the show you're the doing old man now. pool yeah so the old man in the pool is all about aging God, and mortality and is, is it now is it gonna so i just watched I just watched Moulin Rouge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw it at, uh, at the whatever theater. I Broadway. Took, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, here in L.A. They oh, got, in L.A. They, they got to run in L.A., wow. I guess. And uh, the woman who, in, uh, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not good with things. The woman who stars in it was the okay. woman who created uh, Elsa. That played the first Elsa. Okay. I'm not really great with uh, <laughs> actors. So, I, like, I don't, I don't know names and stuff. This, so, we, this we could bring up on the screen, actually, because I would feel like an idiot if I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I know the Broadway production of. of oh, I followed her on Instagram. Oh, it's Adina Mazel. No, no, it's not Adina oh, okay. Mazel. My bad. You gotta take this out. Uh, no, no, take no. This part out. It's not. By the way, she's really fucking good. Oh, Adina Mazel is um, unbelievable. Uh, Are you kidding me? Type on Moulin Rouge. Yeah, put it in Los Angeles. Los Angeles. That's oh, it's at Pantages. the Pantages. Yeah, right, right there. Oh, right it's there. at the Pantages. That's the Pantages. Oh, wow. Cast. Uh, Satine. Yes. Yeah, it's Courtney Reed. Type in who's Courtney Reed because my daughters were in. It was the fucking coolest thing I've ever done. Yeah, yeah. I, I am not a theater guy. Like, I'm not. She was the original. Oh, uh, uh, not Aladdin. She was the original Jasmine. Right? The original something. Type in fucking clicker. Hmm. Broad, yeah, I agree with fine for Broadway. Understudy for Mamma Mia and in, in the Heights. She's in the in the Heights. She's been in everything. Okay, she was fucking awesome. I don't know where that the might point. not be the person we're talking about. Oh, for because real? oh, okay, yeah. Jasmine, Jasmine, yeah. Okay, she. Um, Maybe we'll clean this up because it, yeah. I don't want to be so dumb. <laughs> no, but I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I uh, it was fucking awesome. I don't yeah. know what I, I don't know what my point of oh, I saw. Moulin Rouge. Oh yeah, I didn't. I, I this is how bad of a theater goer I am. Yeah, I didn't know that that, that what we were watching was the same thing Nicole Kidman was in. Yeah, like I I just and I you and McGregor. I yeah, I didn't. Movie. And I saw I was I saw it, but I don't really remember it. Yeah, and I saw Moulin Rouge in Paris. I saw it in oh, Paris. Wow, didn't realize this is the same fucking play. Wow, and when she dies at the end, spoiler alert. Yeah, I had a horrific panic attack because oh i was like oh yeah sometimes you die and and life goes on with that it was the only time i've ever seen a movie where the 
or the thing where the person dies and then you just and then everyone just keeps going they're like um you know we'll just keep singing her songs and you're yeah. like so when you talk about middle age am i gonna get a panic attack no no because there's so many jokes it's like 120 jokes or something like really that. You broke it down it's the most i would say it's the most jokes i've ever had in a show because my goal in the last few years has been you know what we're in this fucking hell pandemic when i come back i'm gonna come back so hard i'm just gonna make people laugh because it's fucking healing people need it and i'm gonna talk about death because i think that there's a i think there's a lot of power in comedy going to the dark places and finding like a little ray yeah a little ray of sunshine in it it's like and the ray of sunshine is we can laugh about it you know what i mean it's like i have jokes where it's like you know you know, I, I, you know, 70 Americans each year die from contact with a lawnmower, which is a eulogy that writes itself. Like Frank loved mulch. And now Frank is mulch. You know? and, then I, and, then I, and then I go like, there's, I read about a guy who died in a cockroach eating competition. You're probably thinking which part of Florida was it in? It was Deerfield Beach. It doesn't matter. And like, it's tons of stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Like, it's like, death 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 but it's like we can laugh yeah, about it yeah yeah but it's permission to laugh about this thing that's fucking insane we're dealing with all the time the pandemic millions of people died so how much how much does it change from today when you when do you open tomorrow yeah like wednesday's the first uh performance and then the oh quite yeah it's the month of august we're doing i'm doing 40 performances so eight, eight how much week. how much will it change from the first day to the day 40 I don't know. I mean, it's changed a lot. I mean, I've been working on this for four years, this show. Really? I've been working on this since, uh, yeah, uh, three and a half years. Since how do you, 19. How do, you, how do you work on one of these? Like, how, like, so, I know. So I perform lot. I do, I do it as stand up. I do pieces of it as stand up, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of it is like early on, I had a story about swimming at the YMCA pool when I was five years old and how I hated everything about it. It was wet and, you know, gross and, and it, it smelled like, when, a, when you're a kid and someone lets you smell under their cast, combined with that aggressive scent of chlorine, yeah. And it was like, I, it was this whole story about how I hated the why. And then my doctor, literally, true story, he goes, uh, I think you should spend some time at the why. And I was like, no, nah, I swore I would never go back. But I do, I go back to the why. So I had that story and that was fun. And then I had like a bunch of stories. I have a story about wrestling when I was in ninth grade, like never, never pinned someone ever. And a bunch of just stories. And then I thought, like, what's... And I was doing a stand-up. I was touring clubs and sort of figuring it out. And I was like, what is this about? And it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier with stories. What is this this story about? I was like, I think the story is just about being alive. And it's like, it's about, like, it's about fear of death and hitting middle age and what happens when your body starts to deteriorate. And, like, like the big, you know, the big questions. And, like, I'm... And, and, and that's what I'm thinking about. I think the key thing as an artist, I think a lot of times as a comic is, is to talk about what you're thinking about because that's the only thing that's interesting. Yeah. The only thing that's interesting is the thing that you care about a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, cause so often, like you see, especially like young comics and I, and I was guilty of this when I was a young comic. It's like, you see a comic and they're talking about like, you know, the Backstreet Boys or the whatever's popular at that moment. It's like, is that really what you care about? Yeah. Is that really your interest? Or like, what do you, you know? And, you know, and and so that that's that's what's on my mind. I think about death a lot. 
So I think about death a lot. And I'd like to think that the people coming out of it feel better on the way out than they did on the way in. I think that that's almost always true. Sometimes when it comes to something like death, you just got to hear something once to change your perspective. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want to do this, this doctor's appointment because I didn't want to find out something was wrong with me. Yeah. And by not going, yeah. you could very easily... Uh, I don't, I just avoid it. Yeah. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to avoid it before the trip. We're taking a trip with the girls. I'll avoid it. I'll do it after that. I'll do it after that. I'll get a colonoscopy then. It'll be all, I'll do it all then. And then I was like, uh, I, I just, I, the, I, someone said something to me is, is better than, I, I, I don't know who, so I want to give the right person credit, but they just said, you know, it's, it's better to do something about, uh, about this while you're still alive oh wow and i was like huh and they're like it's better oh i walked in i, I was going into the imaging center do you need to get out of no, here no no i i don't even know i have it on no i'm a son do not disturb it somehow it breaks through i went yeah. in i went in to get a get a calcium scan of my heart one time yeah and i and there's an older black woman there the they can always deliver uh good advice so well well we've all seen the matrix but the uh she was sitting behind the counter and she and i said what's wrong with you and i said i don't want to be here she goes look around no one wants to be here and i went yeah she goes but i'll tell you something honey it's better that you walk through those doors than they roll you through those doors oh wow and i said what she goes the fact that you just walked through those doors means they won't roll you through those doors oh that's nice and no one wants to be rolled through those doors i told her i told her the other day i went to the exact same imaging thing and i said i just so you know because it's the same one at cedars yeah i go i think about you a lot like i think about what you said to me a lot she didn't even remember me doesn't i bet you gotta check in with her i said i think about that statement she goes i say that to everyone (laughs) (laughs) that's a good by the way that's a good ending yeah i said that to to everyone that's a great i learned that from donald trump (laughs) yeah you should do you do that on stage no it's great no my my death throw it down my Where's death the notebook my i i am going i'm doing spots at the store okay. every wednesday night and i'm trying desperately to punch up this hour i have yeah the only the only death joke bit i have is one day i was having sex with my wife and as i had my orgasm i looked in her eyes and i realized these will probably be the last eyes i look into oh. in my life like when i die it'll be those eyes and i was like did i pick well and i was like Oh no 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 no! I want them to be the uh, I want them to be old eyes. You don't want young thirty five year old eyes. Like if I'm like seventy and I have a thirty five year old girlfriend, she's still got a lot of life. It's like the end of Moulin Rouge. She's got a lot uh, of life left in her. I go. I want old decrepit eyes yeah. that are like when you go, I have nothing. Like that's yes, what I want to see. That's nice. And I told my wife that it's not the best thing to say right after sex, but yeah, but uh, that's very funny. I'm Good dying to see this. Too. I'm dying to see this show. I wonder if we can get you going be because you're going to Europe, right? Yeah. Are you, is it, you, can you say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll leave for Europe next week. Okay. Yeah. I, I would, mean, we're doing, first show is this Wednesday. I'm, I'm, what, what, what do you do? You do Wednesday, two? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, two, or one Saturday, two Sunday. I'm around. Okay. Yeah. Text me, I'll get you tickets. Yeah, I would love to. I would okay. love to. I'm going to see if my wife wants to go. Okay, great. The, um, I'm very proud of it. I mean, like, it's one of these shows where, I think it appeals to the most amount of people that I've ever had a show appeal to because in the sense that it's about just death. Everyone dies. I think everyone, I think <laughs> every. I think pe- audiences have gotten older too. I mean, like cool audiences yeah. have gotten older. 
That's when, interesting. When we started, there weren't any cool old audiences. No. Every audience was young that was cool. I know. I look back at the photos of, I used to take photos of my audiences at those clubs when I was starting out. And I look back at photos of them and I'm like, oh, my audiences were so young. Yeah. <laughs> They're so young. Yeah. I was in my 20s. They were in their 20s. We've all kind of grown up. And then other people made it cool to be oh, an adult. Like, it's cool. It's interesting what comics have made things cool. Like That's Chappelle, interesting. Chappelle yeah. made it cool to not do movies. Oh, that's interesting. Like he really leaned into like, yeah. you don't, you don't, you can just be a comic, and you're yeah. like, oh yeah, yeah. It's in, I, I find like, like who who made it cool to have kids? Because I remember when we started, when we when we when, when we both started out, anytime a guy talked about their kids, the I, I was like, Ugh, boring. Why do you why are you ruining the night with this? Yeah, I know. First person I this is the first person I ever knew to tell a joke about having a kid that I laughed at was Greg Fitzsimmons yeah he was like me and my uh me and my son ran a train on my wife oh my gosh <laughs> he was like he was like yeah it was kind of weird she was breastfeeding i was hitting it from behind oh my i mean god. I, I wanted to high five him but he's just too young <laughs> i oh think that's god. his joke it was, it was the first one um I, my funny my best kid joke i think in my show right now is i i go mom's gonna put you to bed tonight and daughter is three she goes uh She's not your mom. She's my mom. I said, that's what my therapist keeps telling me. Because all toddlers sort of have a Boston accent. You know what I mean? They're like, I'm tired. And Boston toddlers are like, I'm wicked tired. <laughs> all toddlers have a Boston they accent. They do, right? That's so fun. What how, how is your daughter three? Um, she's no, she's seven now. Yeah. I, the show started in when I was in, I want to say 17. But yeah, she's seven, which is amazing age. I mean, she's just like incredible. I mean, I just I mean, I, there's no, I actually have nothing funny to say about her, her seven year old self, except that she's just a joy. She's pure joy. I, yeah. I found a real, I mean, my last special was called the new one. It's all about how I never want to have a child. Why no one should want to have a child. That's the first half of the show. Second half of the show is how I had a child and how I was right. <laughs> and then I was wrong, you know, and that's how it sort of has an emotional turn. But like for the first, like I, that show is all about the first 15 months and, it was really, it was hard. I, I mean, I didn't like it. I didn't yeah. like being a dad in that oh. early stage. I remember saying to my wife, "Now I know why men die earlier." Oh, that's interesting. This sucks. <laughs> this sucks. I get. I don't get to make any of my decisions anymore. I just got to do whatever everyone else says. Right. Fuck. This sucks. I fucking. I had a really hard time giving up my independence, and now I look back and I'm like, "Oh no, you just get so much more." Like, yeah. I, I would look back at that exact same day. Yeah. Um, I lost the i just fixed this i lost the front of this tooth it's a oh. it's a bonding it came off eating a salad wow. and i went look at this i'm i remember being so bummed i go yeah. i'm just falling apart this is what happens to men I, when i was single i didn't fall apart and now i'm having kids and i'm falling apart i was i was a baby about it i look back to that exact same day it's yeah maybe my favorite time to have kids that's so funny so that's on that same day we were walking around the grove we went to wood grill ranch uh and we were walking around the grove and i was like this isn't that bad this is actually pretty fucking cool yeah so your kids are but and then it turns again trust me though she'll get older. oh no i find yeah. no all the whole i've heard from friends about the thing but like yeah well the other day like luna and i are watching like pixar shorts together short films and we're just laughing and like forky asks a question short film series of 10 parts and Una and I are just doing the voice. It's just like, Forky asks a question. And Una's going, Forky asks a question. And we're just doing like 
dueling forkies and it's so fucking fun i took i took my oldest out on tour with us for fully loaded and she watched live stand-up for the first time she'd never seen live stand-up yeah and that was that was like a moment i didn't realize i wanted but now it's one of my favorite moments i've ever had is me and her watching david tell oh me and her watching david tell and us both laughing ah it's at the same I thing that. we t- we took una i went to london we, we took i love her. the name of una we, by the way oh yes she is una malay one of my favorite teachers una una fessenden oh yeah. yeah we did the irish spelling o-o-n-a and and we took her to matilda in london which is a, an un- unbelievable production like and jen and my wife and i are just crying and una's just laughing and loving every second and yeah. now she knows the soundtrack by heart sings along does the british accent like it's <laughs> oh. just hilarious like it's just it's amazing but anyway so i was a bit i was i was terrible about it the first 15 months that's what my show is about the new one that's what the book is about um and and you know because early on it's like i make this joke in the show it's like you're the you're nothing you're the as a dad you're just like the pudgy milkless vice president of the family just like huge title no purpose no you know but 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 if but if i had one piece of advice i wish i had been this smart when i had kids that's a fucking perfect analogy okay my first 13 months i was nothing and i nothing you're the intern of the family i and no one connected with me yeah and i remember i remember trying to get georgia to latch onto my tit just so i could have a connection and she did and you (laughs) i'll tell you one thing you ever had a kid latch onto your tit which may happen don't fucking write it out yeah I didn't know how you you can't just rip her off. Yeah. You gotta break this. There's a way to take a child off a off a tit. You have to unlatch yeah. them. Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh wow. Yeah, but I had seen two dogs fuck one time and I knew how to stop that. So I just sprayed her with hot water. Have you done this no, on the stage? Have no, you done no, this? No, no, no. no, 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 no get no, this no, down. No. Get yeah, this yeah, down. Yeah, this is all great stuff. This is great. <laughs> Are you kidding yeah. me? No, uh I was during that was during the tough crowd times. I I love those. I look back now yeah. so fondly at a time I felt useless you know what I I, I I i in the show i i i read a journal entry from my show I would from, love, from my life i would love to read your journal <laughs> you wouldn't it's just, it's miserable because it's like what i re- i always recommend to people on my podcast is like mm-hmm. it is like writing a journal because it's the best therapy is you write down what you're angriest about and you're mm-hmm. saddest about because life can feel so claustrophobic but sometimes if you write down those things, you can see your life as a story and it allows you to zoom out and encourage the main character to make better decisions. You are fucking Jesus. Let me give you my journal real quick. <laughs> <laughs> are you in therapy? Of course, oh, right? Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm fucking. I'm broken. I was in, my, this is how broken I was. I was in therapy. I had to stop. Cause I was lying to him. Oh my God, really? Said, yeah, cause we did it on the, I wasn't lying. Zoom? I was just, we do it on the zoom thing. And I just found myself being not telling him the truth. Cause I was afraid someone was going to steal my camera oh my God. and post my therapy. Oh my God. And some of the stuff was with like, like I'd talk about Sugar and I was like, I can't say certain things on here. Right. If someone saw that, that would fuck, you know? Yeah, sure. So I just was making stuff up oh my god so, <laughs> so horrible yeah was horrible. Like, oh, whatever all right we should wrap this up uh yeah so so it, it's at the oh yeah where is it where's mark it taper forum so so like center theater group has the mark taper forum the the amundsen theater and the kirk douglas theater it's all downtown los angeles oh, really? and it's gorgeous i mean in the set design set designed by beowulf barrett and uh 
you know, uh, you know, uh, the the Seth Barris directed the design team is like extraordinary. Even the wardrobe is Tony Leslie James. Like it's like it's amazing group of people who created. I don't want to give away what the visual is, but I'm it's a beautiful, it. beautiful visual. Yeah, and like it's it, we're really proud of it. I mean, it's it, when's my, it run till it runs? It's gonna till... run through August. Okay, August twenty eighth. But Fuck that's yeah. probably the thing I'm. Probably the thing I'm, I'm most proud of, and then take it. Hopefully, take it. Hopefully, take it all But you, one never knows. One never yeah. knows. You hope. One hopes. I'm 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 really happy to have done this. I can't wait to Me do too. your podcast. Yes, I can't wait to do your podcast. You and I and I'm I'm not no fluff. You literally are one of the most innovative dudes in our business, and you oh. take you're you're an inspiration to anyone who's looking. Some comics are so lost in themselves, but any comic who really wants to think out of the box, like like myself, genuinely, you're such an inspiration to me to watch you do things that a lot of be kind of limitless potential. Like you really have done things that I think. I just watch. I randomly yesterday I'm watching uh the, uh, the fucking clip of Chris Gethart. Uh, yes walk in, in naked my, in my movie. Don't think twice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it was on my feed. Yeah, it came on, on my, my Instagram. Feed. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, that's right. He did a fucking movie. Like, you've done so much great stuff that you're, you're just an inspirational dude. I'm glad I can call you a friend. You too. I, I'm thrilled that we've become friends in the last few years. Because yeah. it's like, I, I really respect what you do so much. And you, you constantly, constantly make me laugh. Dude, thank you. Well, let's set up your podcast. Yeah. And then I'll come sure. down and then see the show. Yeah. Awesome. Man. Thank you. All right. That was great. That was great. Yeah. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.